the electric chair. Protect yourself. It's another great week here at the Electric Chair World Headquarters. My name is Midnight Corey, and I'm bringing you all the insanity this week. And I'll tell you what, this week is fantastic. I am so excited to be doing this show this week. Um, man, lots of great stuff. Uh, I hope you're listening um, either on iTunes or on Stitcher. I'm on Stitcher Smart Radio, Stitcher.com. You can take this podcast with you anywhere that you go, where you have a some sort of data connection to the World Wide Web. Oh, yes. Um, so uh, put it on your phone or your tablet or whatever. Um, and they're doing stuff on the web now. Stitcher is just making leaps and bounds in what they can do. And uh, I appreciate being part of that. I also really appreciate being part of the Horror Podcasting Alliance at horrorpodcastingalliance.blogspot.com. A really, really group of, a really, really great group of uh, talented, fantastic people there. So uh, keep an eye on them. And uh, also spookshow.tv, another fantastic place to be. Uh, great stuff coming out constantly. It is so hard to keep up with uh, all these wonderful groups of people that I'm involved with, but uh, I think you should. You should check them out because uh, there's so much wonderfulness to be had. So yeah, yeah, I'm just so grateful to be part of everything, but uh, man, 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 man. What? Uh, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Oh yeah, hope you had a fantastic holiday season. Of course, Christmas coming up now. And wow, wow, uh, great stuff in the works. Um, the first thing I want to say is this week I finally got out all of the Spine uh, VHS tapes and a lot of extras for the winners. Um, but uh, I pulled three names, and only I've, I've only heard back from like two of them. And this has been going on for so long, so I put out the last call. I'm like, hey, third guy, you know, you won. You got this free thing. Just let me know. And I never heard anything. So... I auctioned it off. <laughs> yeah, I became greedy. And I'm like, well, I'll take some money for this then. And uh, I was over at the Vulture Video uh, uh, page on uh, Facebook and did that and uh, got some uh, fantastic people responding to that. And so everything has gone out. And uh, by the time you listen to this show, hopefully you will have it. But uh, I'm just thankful for everybody over there. I'm thankful for uh, Jason and all the guys there at uh, Vulture Video putting out some fantastic stuff. And Spine it was a huge hit, I know. And uh so, yeah, very cool. But check out Voltra. They're, they're doing some great work. Uh, let's see. Man, man, uh, what do I talk about first? What do I reveal to all the listeners first this week? Well, um, let me tell you about uh, a, an old friend of mine. It, uh, not that he's old, but uh, he's, he's been a friend for quite a while, for several years now, actually. I met him when I was doing the Midnight Podcast, and that is Mr. Tom Burdinsky. Uh, Tom, of course, is a filmmaker, a musician, very talented, talented guy. A wonderful, wonderful person to hang out with when you go to conventions or wherever you are that you run into him. I've hung out with him at uh, several conventions now, and um, I love this guy. I love this guy. We're, I'm on Facebook, right, the other night, and uh, he's talking about there's going to be a, there was an online screening of uh, one of his newer short films, uh, which is called Noir Mageddon. And uh, this is one he's been talking about for a while, and uh, I've been excited to see it. And when, whenever it was scheduled for the online screening, I couldn't make it, so I just responded. I'm like, oh, dude, glad to hear that that's up. I wish I could see it. You know, at some point, hopefully I will. So Tom messages me, and he's like, dude, he's like, I'll send you one out. 
And I'm like, oh, really? Well, what do I owe you? And, and, and nothing, nothing. And then uh, the package shows up. And not only did he send me Normageddon, the convention uh, DVD, but uh, he sent me a copy of the giant rubber monster movie, which I've also been salivating to see. And uh, on top of that, the unrated grindhouse cut of the Italian zombie movie. And, oh, man. If you haven't seen the Italian zombie movie, let me tell you. This is the whole reason I know Tom. Because I found out he was uh, making releasing this years ago. Of course, when I did the Midnight Podcast. And so I interviewed him and the cast and everything. And it, it was great fun. Had a great time. And, uh, of course, we've we've been keeping in touch regularly ever since. And the Italian zombie movie is a thing to behold. It, it truly is. Actually, two movies as of now, and I believe they're still working on a third. But, uh, man, man, I, I have so much great, great stuff to watch now. Thank you, Tom. Tom Burdinsky, of course. Go find out. I'll have links to him and his work up in the show notes. But uh, you got to check it out. And his Tom is just a fantastic guy. Not to mention all the people that he works with and surrounds himself by. What a great group of people. I'm just so fortunate, so blessed to know these people. Oh, man. And to call them my friends. So thank you, Mr. Burdinsky. Uh, what else do I got? Let me tell you about another fantastic guy. You remember I talked with the uh, filmmaker Jason Figgis here not too long ago. Uh, Irish filmmaker. He's out of Dublin. And uh, he made uh, The Railway Children, which I was fortunate enough to see. And a really talented filmmaker. Um, can't wait to see what he does next. And in fact, he got in touch with me this week on Facebook again. Facebook is like the hot spot for keeping in contact with everybody nowadays. Um, but uh, yeah, he got in touch with me. And uh, he said th they have this new psychological horror feature coming out called Burial at Thornhill. Um, so they're finishing it up right now. They have some first looks at it and some stills and a trailer that he put together. Um, so this looks really cool. I'm going to have actually an article written up on, uh, uh, either Midnight Quarry or the Electric Chair Show. I'm not, not quite sure, but, uh, one of those sites, and you will know, just go to electricchairshow.com or midnightquarry.com to, uh, take a look at all this stuff. But this looks really interesting. Now, let me give you the synopsis. And then I'll just leave you to go to the to the web stuff to see the trailer and the stills and all the good stuff about it. But uh, this is Burial at Thornhill. We have John and Jane. They're a happily married couple living in Dublin's sprawling suburbia. Until the afternoon, their daughter is abducted and murdered. While John quiets his grief in daily routine, Jane has no such recourse to normality and so sinks even further into torturous insanity. In Jane's mind, someone needs to pay, and pay they will. Peter is a North of England architect living in Dublin while overseeing a six-month contract. He is soon about to take center stage in Jane's terrible fantasies of vengeance, and where vengeance is concerned, in the mind of the insane, there are no boundaries. Great stuff, great stuff. Of course, Jason Figgis, October 11 pictures, and uh, this is, uh, I think, slated to come out next year. Uh, I can't wait. So take a look at the trailer, take a look at the stills and the write-up. Uh, Jason, thank you, man, for sending this over, and I'm really excited to see this, and I uh, hope I can uh, speak with you again about uh, what you're doing. Because, um, man, after seeing Railway Children, and, of course, you heard me talk about that, uh, Jason is really, really talented, and I love the way he goes about his filmmaking, and uh, this is uh, going to be no exception to the good stuff that he has coming out. So, so check it out. Check it out. 
All right, all right. Now, here's what I got for you this week on the show. Here's what you're going to be hearing before I get to the feedback. I do have a piece of feedback, and that'll be right after uh, this greatness. Uh, there's a, a set of DVDs coming out. It's going to be 12 volumes altogether called Operation Z. Uh, the first two volumes are out right now on Amazon. You can go check them out, and I recommend that you do. Amazon, uh, not, yeah, yeah, Amazon. Operation Z is all about preparing for the zombie apocalypse, and it's centered around this fictional zombie outbreak that happened in L.A., and uh, it was sort of quarantined taken under control, and the survivors who have gone through this and have managed to deal with that situation, survive, and um, really come out of it, have come together and uh, made this uh, DVD, and uh, so they give instruction as to weapons, survival, and um, so that's what we see here. Um, so, fantastic set, um, and I'm going to be getting into this. I have two sets of interviews to uh, bring to you this week. The first interview, you're going to hear from Damien from Lugdunham Studios. This is the place that uh, actually put this all together, that formulated the, the ideas and, and got all the wonderful talent together for this. Um, so Damien gives us some background and kind of what the whole series is about. And then next, I go to the star of the series. Now this uh, this is huge. Chris Costa, firearms expert, survival expert, uh, huge, huge name in uh, the firearms, weapons, survival sort of industry. And uh, he is the one that gives instruction on uh, the first two volumes which are out. The first volume is about handguns. The second volume is uh, about uh, bigger guns, you know, rifles, shotguns, things like that. And uh, but this this there's more than just weapons instruction involved in this uh, DVD series. Like I said, this is all centered around a fictional zombie outbreak, and uh, so we see things like that. We see little found footage things, survival stories, uh, different techniques, and it just it's just a wealth of of, of greatness here. So. Damien from Lugdunham, Chris Costa, the man with the plan who I, like I say in the interview you'll hear, I really hope that uh, Chris is by my side during the zombie outbreak because this man can just take care of the job. <laughs> no doubt. Oh, So I, I'm really, really excited uh, for you to hear that. And it, it was just an honor speaking with both of these guys. So uh, we're going to get to that right after the feedback. Now, there's feedback. Uh, it was really cool. I got this MP3 uh, through my website. You can do this as well. Just record yourself as an MP3 and upload it on my contact page at electrichairshow.com slash contact. Um, but uh, my friend, King Uke, uh, sent me some feedback. Of course, King Uke, as you know, I, I talked about him a couple episodes ago. Uh, just a fantastic guy. Uh, did the song Helogram. <laughs> And uh, so let's just listen to what he has to say, and then I'll, uh, I'll keep going. Hello, Corey. King Yuke here. How are you doing? Thank you, thank you for uh, all your kind words on episode 30. They weren't warranted, I'm sure, but uh, I do appreciate them. Thank you. Ooh, and you played Hologram. That was dangerous. And the dead shall walk the earth. <laughs> I've been listening for a long time, you know that. Uh, this is the first time I've called in, and it'll probably be the last time. I'm rubbish at it. Yeah, but uh, I did want to say thank you, and um, give you some support, yeah? 
digging the tails from the electric chair. Really loving that. Teaching me lots of new stuff again, yeah. We are not worthy. So I'll keep it uh, short and sweet. All the best, mate, and uh, keep on keeping on. Once again, my friend, thank you for uh, for sending in this feedback. It, it was really cool of you, and I'll tell you what, it was not rubbish. Like you said, I hope this is like not the last time I hear from you, man, because uh, again, you're you're extremely awesome. Uh, you're just like this this ukulele master, and I I'm, I'm just fascinated with this whole thing and what you do and and uh, building these things and writing these songs and uh, dude. Dude, you're awesome. <laughs> but uh, I appreciate, again, you've been a longtime listener uh, throughout all the incarnations of my weirdness here on the internet, and I, I really appreciate that, man. Um, so, yeah, it's just really cool. So I hope to hear from you again. And, of course, Hellegram, unleashing that you know, upon the listeners. You know, again, I, I haven't seen any ill effects of uh, this message from hell. So, uh, you know, I think it was, uh, you know, actually beneficial beneficial altogether so awesome <laughs> but uh again i'll um you know go back and check out everything that king yuke has to offer it's really really great and uh, back in episode 30 is where you can find all those uh, great links and the song and everything like that so man again i encourage feedback i do have a number that you can call uh 206-337-5096 or uh you can email me clips and just uh, you know write me a letter i don't know write me a, a song or a haiku or whatever and email it or uh, you know i'd like to hear your voice too so you can send me mp3s and good stuff like that either through email or of course like i said on the contact page yeah it's all fun and games over here it's great <laughs> uh, oh you know i just lied um before i i get to the interviews um of course i want to talk about the next short film that i saw in uh, the Ultimate Zombie Feast collection that I'm talking about here. This one was a really, really, really great one. Last week, you know, it was kind of weak. It was sort of like the low point in the series for me. It was it was okay. It was worth watching, but um, just I don't think it was up to uh, the other ones that I've seen in here. But right now, with this entry, we are back up to awesomeness. Uh, this one was called Not Even Death. Now, this is from 2009, directed by Monica Winter Vigil. And um, you can go check this out, actually. There's some information about it at stopjackie.com. And uh, this was a really interesting film. It's like a snapshot in time, man. It's only um, like five minutes long. But it's really, really cool. It, it seems to me like it could be even part of a, of, of a larger thing. But it's kind of like I, I don't... I, I kind of don't want anymore. This was like a perfect little little snapshot. It still leaves me kind of filling in uh, what the story is, where it goes from here, what happened beforehand. So it was really a nicely crafted little short. Uh, we have a guy who uh, is basically keeping his zombie wife in the basement in hopes that, uh, you know, he, he will some have some sort of a breakthrough communication-wise with her. Maybe she'll realize, maybe she's still there somehow. And, um, and then, of course, their daughter has worked in the story and man what happens is just really really awesome so uh man th this is fantastic now the thing is about this up until now every single short on this film has been available online um and uh this one is not this one does have a trailer that you can watch and i believe on stopjackie.com th that trailer is available but you're not able to see the whole thing online so it's a it's a, a great incentive to buy this uh, ultimate zombie feast. So, awesome, awesome. So, not even death. 
fantastic, and uh, I'm really excited to uh, uh, to see the next one now and uh, to keep going on. Fantastic series, Ultimate Zombie Feast. Okay, all right. Well, there we go. Let's uh, let's move right along to the fantastic discussions that I have about Operation Z with Damien from Lugdunham Studios and with survival expert Chris Costa. Well, the first day, all of a sudden, news comes on. It's everyone saying, stay where you are, stay in your homes. I see a couple small private jets try to take off. F-16 comes flying in, blows them out of the sky. I knew something was going on. We were offshore doing our normal patrols for today, and we come back. It's like we literally came back to another planet. Officers found one man mauling, chewing the face of another. Is this a human being, or is this something else? Beverly Hills Police and L.A. County Sheriff's deputies fired rubber bullets to keep a large mob from progressing down Santa Monica Boulevard. People are going crazy. People are looting. You know, people are hurting other people. Law and order doesn't really exist. Like, somehow it just disappeared. Neighboring counties have refused to send help, keeping their assets close to home in case similar outbreaks happen. There's thousands of people that are exposed to something. They're doing the best of their abilities to get all the casualties through. Hundreds of them ripping the place apart, you know, to kill everyone there. The mayor will authorize special forces teams to the worst neighborhoods of the city. I remember one of my guys asking me, does that mean we can shoot him? Yes. Shoot him. We have no other rescued, everything is, quote, back to normal. Six months in a contaminated zone, it's nothing that you really can prepare yourself for. I don't think it's a matter of if it's going to happen, it's more of a matter of when it's going to happen. Everyone just wanted hope. They wanted something to get us out of this thing. Any choice you make could influence whether you live or die. We leave you a gun with one bullet in it. And you get bit, you can smoke yourself really quickly. We all know out there I love talking about zombies. Love it. And I love to talk about what I'm going to do in the event of a zombie outbreak and whether I'd be prepared or not, where I'm going to go, and what I'm going to use to defend myself. And, well, thanks to this great new uh, 12-part DVD series that's coming out right now called Operation Z, I now know for sure that I am just terribly underprepared. Uh, but that's okay, because uh, these DVDs, what I've watched so far, are really getting me prepared and teaching me the beginnings of what I need to know. And with me right now is Damien from Lugdunham Studios. Uh, Lugdunham, of course, produced and uh, has released Operation Z, and we're in the process of seeing some great things. So, Damien, man, thanks for joining me tonight. Thanks for having me. 
Absolutely. This is this is really exciting. Uh, this is a great, um, great start. Of course, Volume 1 is out there, and this is a 12-part DVD series. So could you give everybody out there kind of a flavor for what Operation Z is all about? Sure. It's a 12-part uh, DVD series. We're releasing it on DVD instead of television or other medium so that we can go into a lot of different topics without having the the television censor and kind of downplay certain topics that we get into on some of the later DVDs that are a little bit, probably be more controversial. Um, but it, but uh, the goal of the DVD series is really just to kind of I think from a zombie fan's perspective is just to hopefully kind of blow open the box on how we see and think about possible zombie apocalypse situations and stuff. I think that it kind of came from we were seeing that it seemed like a lot of zombie fiction was very much kind of based on other zombie fiction. So you kind of had this one perspective that was just being repeated over and over and over again. And that was very different from kind of some of the stuff that we were experiencing and me and my employees and the work we were doing um, with some uh, defense and firearms related projects. And so that started to be kind of the genesis of just like if there, you know, if there, if it, there was truly a zombie threat, how would you really start to prepare, you know, mainstream America um, for that threat? And that's kind of what we started with. Yeah, I, I love the realistic approach that you take to this. Uh, you're very serious about it, which is great, because um, there's there's nothing that annoys me more than kind of a silly, goofy, humorous kind of take on zombies. It works sometimes, but for the most part, I mean, zombies scare me. You know, I want to get away from them. I want to destroy these things. And uh, you you really take this seriously, which is great. So was that, was that really conscious, um, you know, as far as saying, man, this... This we have to be realistic about it, and you, you touched on that a little bit. But um, I don't know what was your what was your mindset going into this, um, as far as how you're going to approach the whole topic of zombies. Well, and and talking to a lot of other people that were um, fans of zombie fiction. I mean, obviously with zombies, you have the traditional element of the zombies being a typical fictional monster type. Um, threat, let's say it. But what I found is that, that by and large, most of the people I was talking to about zombie films always related it back to their perspective of what they would do in that situation. So what was interesting to me wasn't just the zombie fiction that was out there, but that it would like continue to kind of live on in people's minds and people love talking about it and debating it and stuff like that. So then I thought, well, if if that's what people kind of like is this kind of, um, you know, thinking about it and internalizing it on what you would do in these various situations, I felt like there was nothing out there that was really taking things to another level that would allow that kind of um, uh, individual creativity to, to flourish with having a wider um, space. I don't know if that kind of makes sense. It's like if everyone is kind of thinking and being creative in their own way and fantasizing. Um, and I don't mean fantasizing in like a derogatory way. I think it's mm -hmm. good because it gets people thinking outside the box about a lot of different things. But it's like I wanted to open up the framework of like how we look at the zombie apocalypse or or any kind of post-apocalyptic situation. Um, yeah, so yeah. That's why we decided to go. That's why we decided to go serious with it, because this the funny stuff had kind of already been done, but I felt like it was we really hadn't seen what I felt like would be, you know, a serious look at it. So, yeah, it's it's very, uh, like I said, very realistic. 
uh, very methodical, you know, a, a pretty much like a almost a military training sort of uh, mindset to this. And of course, you know, the, the host of this is Chris Costa. And uh, if anybody out there is into uh, survivals, into firearms and things like that, you know the name Chris Costa. He's huge. Um, but uh, Chris really does a great job and something he brings up. Um, you know, of course, we'll get into the specifics of, uh, of the first volume here, which I watched. Um, but uh, Chris brought up, you know, a great point about how really when you think about it in real life, once you're out there and you have to blow somebody's head off, you know, blow a zombie's head off. You have to literally uh, stab or do something to this moving figure, this moving corpse, whether it's a zombie. Um, there is this whole strange psychological aspect to to the whole process. And, and could you really bring yourself to do that? And yeah, there are a lot of people out there, and you know, myself included a lot of times, that I think have glorified the whole zombie killing stuff. And like, yeah, man, I'd like nothing more than go out there and just kill some zombies, man. That would be great. I, I could just do it, chop off heads and blow them up. But, I mean, when the rubber hits the road in real life, when you're faced in that situation, you know, could you bring yourself to do that? And I love that point that Chris brought up um, because it's it's very, very realistic. And I, I think it's something that not a lot of people take into account or really are, are just realistic about. Yeah, definitely. And and um, it brings up a lot of good points about why we, we wanted to get Chris involved with the project. And part of that is... Um, when dealing with exactly what you brought up, you know, myself, I'm a civilian. I've never um, been in a situation where I've had to, you know, deal with a threat um, to my life or anything like that. So it's hard to really understand the mindset of um, of actually having to kill. Even a zombie is still, you know, used to be a human being. Um, and what what Chris brought to all that. Well, two two things, just because we brought up Chris, and this is a big thing that a lot of people want to know about his involvement with the project, is first of all, we approached Chris to do it, and he was reluctant to do it because um, if it wasn't done right, it could be, you know, it could come off as kind of a cheesy thing, and that's what nobody wanted. But mm. I've known Chris for, I think, about four years now, and the, and the cool thing about Chris as an instructor is he is extremely open to learning anything and everything. So when you have an instructor who's in, who's open to learning, they tend to pick up the best things and the best anecdotes and the best, you know, stories and the best, um, you know, little bits of skill and whatever from everywhere they can, because they're, they're not, they don't have the mindset of, I know everything, you know, do it my way. Like Chris is learning stuff every day. So um, that's how the whole project is too. It's very much not like a, we didn't want to do like a preaching to you. This is, this is the right way, and this is like um, the only way to deal with this the subject matter. It was much more of like, here's some things to think about that maybe you didn't think about before. I think that's that's more of the mindset of the series. So, absolutely, absolutely, you're bringing this whole thing down uh, to a, a you know a beginner level. Um, you know, people like you and me. You know, uh, you know, the civilian level people, you know, the students now to give give people kind of a, a background of uh, what's going on on the DVDs here. It's basically Chris during the, the main segments of the, the DVDs, uh, Chris out there teaching a group of students, people who have really varying ranges of uh, of um, experience with weapons and firearms. Uh, most of them have just about no experience with them. 
But yeah. he's teaching this group of students in this particular volume. In the first one, we're learning about firearms and just proper ways and procedures of shooting. We have targets out there on the range, and and uh, he, he's relating the whole thing as well to zombies. And um, he does a great job of being so patient and so understanding and just coming down from his level, which is basically weapons and firearms god, and coming down to the level of, you know, a student that knows nothing. And uh, the way he comes across there, uh, I think, is, is just brilliant. So for me, I, I just love this. I love this. Not only did I learn so much, but I'm like, man, Chris is a guy that I really, really enjoy learning from. And I really appreciate this guy, too, because he doesn't think he's, he's so much better than me. He doesn't come across that way. So it was fantastic. Well, that was exactly what we had tried to do. You know, we didn't want it to have, like, Chris preaching to an audience saying, do this, do this, do this. I, I postulated to Chris, hey, if this was a serious threat and it was a threat that you had previously encountered and dealt with, how would you acclimate five people right off the street and get them to a point where they would have a better chance to survive, you know, in that situation. And um, a big part of that, which which is interesting, just from what I learned from doing the whole process, is that the average person has a complete misconception about almost everything firearms related. Now, people oh, yeah. that are that are familiar with firearms already know that, but I think it was interesting just to see, like, because people that 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 don't. Um, really understand firearms they they all they their only experience with it is seeing it in tv and movies and stuff like that and most people think like talk about zombie apocalypse they're like oh i'll have my pump action shotgun and i'm going to be doing you know shotgun shots to the head and all this but the average person when you give them a shotgun they can't even operate it properly <laughs> yeah so that's what we wanted to um to really point out is is throughout the dvd series we tend to point out the 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 common understandings of a zombie apocalypse and how that thinking may not be right or at least not um you should think about it a little bit more so it's not about you know samurai swords and and shotguns all the time and that you know everyone can say you know shoot zombies in the head and we tried to show you know how difficult that is for an average person and and um and i even learned you know a big lesson from it from volume one which was you know, I have my own, I have owned several firearms, but I'm very comfortable with mine. But if I had to pick up one that I wasn't familiar with, that I didn't know personally, and then I had to employ that without any previous kind of uh, acclimation time, that that could be a very serious problem. So I thought that was kind of an interesting learning point, even for myself. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he chose a great cross-section of, of uh, handguns to cover and explained why, you know, the, the pros and cons of each. And, and uh, he got into that, you know, and you have to think about that when you're out there and you're basically, you, you got to make sure that you're going to be able to find ammo for these guns. You're going to be able to operate these things when you're just out there running around. You know, some of these handguns that may be fantastic firearms, some of them are using ammo that you'll be lucky to find anybody with this stuff, especially during this sort of emergency situation. And uh, so just he brings up things like that and he uses, you know, the revolvers, you know, uh, semi-automatics and is just a very wide range of weapons. So, uh, you know, I appreciated that because 
that's what you're going to be dealing with. And you, you just got to at least have a general understanding of all those different kinds of weapons. And uh, so that was, a, that was a great choice. So how much, how much of that weapons choice, as far as the, the different kinds of handguns here, um, was Chris? And how much was it sort of a team thing? Maybe, uh, you know, you guys, was it sort of the producers that decided on the guns? Or did you leave that up to Chris mainly? Well, it was it was interesting. Chris contributed several, but the, what the process was is we wanted a cross section. Like, you know, some people watch the DVD and they're disappointed because they don't see a certain type of gun. But what we had to do was pick, um, you know, a certain revolver to represent most revolvers, a certain semi-auto to represent most semi-autos, so that we couldn't have two hundred different types of handguns in the video. Yeah. Um, so we tried to pick stuff that represented. Um, represented different teaching points and then the other thing we did is we actually cobble all those weapons were cobbled together um pretty much with ex the exception of a few guns that belong to chris on one uh from gun owners in one city uh block so they're mm -hmm. kind of esoteric but it represents what you may find in a real situation where you've got all sorts of weird stuff so so the gun selection we try it was very much to simulate not like you know, the idea from a movie where you're going to have this, you know, slick arsenal with every super awesome gun, but like, what are you likely to come across, um, in a real situation? And it is going to be this kind of motley crew, uh, of different or motley grouping of different weapons and stuff. And we carried that over in volume two with into the rifles and stuff like that. I think with the, with the pistols, the main handgun that was Chris's was the 45, um, and the, uh, suppressed 22, mm. Uh, the 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 fancier stuff was Chris's, um, nice. but yeah, that was kind of a we both Chris and I both agreed just to to not try and overthink it and and stuff, but just say hey, what is what is a representation based on a you know an average neighborhood maybe you know in the country? So yeah, yeah. So that's a, a smart approach to it, and uh, you know Chris, you know you're talking about you know he, he's a very realistic kind of guy, and and when he starts getting into uh, you know talking you know into you know, more fictional things like zombies and everything. Uh, it took maybe a little more work for him, but uh, I'm watching this and, you know, not only Chris, but everybody else that appears uh, in this video, you know, talking about survival stories. You know, there are people out there that recount their stories of what happens. This whole thing, you know, centers around uh, the L.A. outbreak, you know, this zombie outbreak, this fictional outbreak that happened. Um, some, what was it? Some years ago. I uh, don't remember exactly. Right. Um, but, um, so there, there was this whole kind of quarantined area where this outbreak happened. Ultimately things were under control and it, everything was taken care of. But, uh, there's this group of survivors that you hear from who actually came out of it alive and you, you hear their stories. And we even seen some found footage kind of things and different stuff going on during the outbreak. And it, there's, there's a ton of great stuff on here, but, um, all in all, Everybody totally sold me on it. I mean, you could have you, you could have just given this to me with no explanation whatsoever, nothing. Just say, "Here, watch this," and I would have been like, "Oh my god!" I mean, this is this isn't real, is it? I mean, you know, I mean, you sold it that well, where you're almost like, "Man, did this actually happen? Is this something that actually happened?" So everybody sold it. Everybody did a fantastic job. Uh, you know, Chris as well, just uh, talking about zombies and the undead and and uh, coming out of this outbreak, did it really well. So um, got to give you a, a props on that, on really selling that, the, the zombie kind of uh, element there. Were you worried about that? I mean, you, you know, yes. it's, yeah, yeah. How hard was that to, to pull off? 
Um, very hard. And, and here's the here's the problem. Everybody has a different opinion on, you know, is there too little? Is there too much? Should we have done much more? You know, because you don't see a lot of zombies in the video. And we, we approached it with a couple of things that were kind of key and everything else had to play off of that. And the first thing was that the instructional portion, portions, none of that is scripted. That's literally the class as it happened. Nobody... Everyone, those are real people with their real reactions and their real mistakes. And Chris is is doing the whole thing, is doing what he's doing. So what I didn't want to do was be so controlling that we took away the spontaneity, spontaneity of feeling like you're watching a real something real. Mm. Which means that when we're editing, um, at least the class portion, you know, we we gave Chris a br- Chris and I had worked on a pretty extensive brief as far as the backstory for his character you know, as far as things like that. And he had a lot of points that he had to hit on during the instruction, but he hit the hit on them when they were natural um, for him. And so it's funny because after we started shooting, I think after the first bit, Chris was really like, you know what? The big threat in a zombie apocalypse is not, you know, the zombies, it's the other human beings. And so mm-hmm. like bad people kind of became sort of a focus too of some of the, in, the instruction and stuff. Um, mainly because he's worried about, you know, getting shot at and, uh, and other types of, um, you know, a zombie traditionally is not a thinking, um, thinking adversary, but when human beings become desperate, they can get very creative. And if you have a group of people that are getting very creative about how to kill you and your group or your family, mm-hmm. that's kind of a scary threat. So, um, we started, it started veering into that a little bit. And then, um, the backstory was was important too because we were trying to establish a relevance for the instruction. So, like, if you go to a, a firearms class with a with an instructor, they're teaching out of most of the time the instructors are teaching out of their experience in combat and law enforcement out of real world scenarios, and that's what gives it levity and wh- why you buy what they're saying and usually why what the instructors are not just Chris, but there's a lot of really good instructors out there and. We felt like with the zombie apocalypse, if it was always going to be a theoretical in the future, it wouldn't have like that sense that I think Chris sells in the video, which is like, hey, there's a consequence for not getting this information. And that consequence is is you could be a victim if this you know happens again. And we were trying to keep that relevance, um, which I think I think ended up happening. So, yeah, absolutely. I don't think it would have had any anywhere near the impact that it did if you would have said, well, if a zombie apocalypse were to happen, you know, if an outbreak were to happen, then here's what I think would work, you know, and here's here's what I think we should do, you know, in, in theory and keeping everything sort of imaginative. But being that you based it, I mean, you like I said, you're watching a thing and he's talking about it. Everyone's talking about it like this happened. It was horrible. It was trying. Here's what I learned about it. And here's here's really what you guys need to be thinking about. And uh, I think that just um, it, it added credibility, even though you, you, you sort of knew it was fictional, but it just did something. It took it up a level of cred um, that uh, I think was fantastic. And uh, so you're absolutely right. And that was a that was a really smart decision. Well, thank you very much. I'm glad that it worked. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, talking about, uh, you know, this DVD set, of course, volume one is a two disc set. And you've included uh, this really cool fold-out poster. The packaging is is phenomenal, by the way. This is uh, this is what I love to see in in, in DVDs, you know, because the DVD isn't 
all about just the content visually on the disc itself. Sure. It's about the packaging and what kind of cool things that you give me on top of that. Um, you know, it's kind of like, you know, if I'm veering off into like, you know, you talk about, you know, vinyl records versus, you know, digital downloads, you know, uh, music wise. Where, oh, yeah. you know, yeah, when you I bought, can. man, when you bought vinyl back in the day, you got this huge big thing with cool artwork usually, and, and you could turn it around, you can feel it, and you can handle it, and pull out the record, and usually there were almost, you know, liner notes a lot of times in there, and yep. and now, you know, with digital downloads, it's just like, yeah, you get to hear the music, but, you know, you really don't have anything much over and above um, most of the times, and you've, you've kind of uh, kept that concept going here, though. Um, because there's this really great fold-out map, um, because we're talking about, of course, this L.A. outbreak, and uh, there's this map of uh, sort of the quarantine zone, sort of uh, at ground zero, if you will, you know, where everything happened, and uh, I, I just really appreciate that, because uh, I'm going to put it up on my wall, because it's just cool. Um, but uh, And also on the other side, now, <clears throat> something I wanted to uh, uh, talk about that you touched upon was, you know, sort of thinking on your feet. And when you're out there, you just kind of have to go with, with what you have at hand um, in the way of firearms. But uh, you even get in some of these other uh, extra segments on the DVDs, um, you, you get into improvised weapons, things that people uh, sort of uh, threw together themselves while they were, you know, going through this outbreak. And if you flip this poster over, we get a view of the uh, the arrow gas gun that uh, there's a whole segment about. So um, how did how did you come up with this uh, this idea for the arrow gas gun, um, and where did that whole segment come from? Because I love it. Oh, cool. Well, thanks. Well, improvised, improvised, and it's not just and then we haven't really spoke about it, but basically the idea for the twelve volume series is that some of them are going to be weapons related, but we do cover other subjects. And one thing that it was important to me that to be consistent is that think outside the box thinking because again like let's say if there was in this case an outbreak in los angeles where you have you know 10 million people all whose lives now are at stake human beings like i said are going to think of creative solutions and i felt like in zombie fiction for the most part it's like somebody's got a bow an arrow somebody's got a revolver somebody's got a shotgun and, and it, it's i'm not picking on any one particular thing, but it's like very much the same. And so I wanted to look at, well, what happens if someone happens to be somewhere when the outbreak happens where they just don't have a convenient arsenal? If their option is either A, die a horrible death or turn into a zombie, or B, think on their feet and come up with something pretty fast, a lot of people are going to do B. And so the improvised weapons were very much a way of showing that and, and with hopefully, it, it, it's not so much for people to see those and say, oh, those are cool. I'm really curious to see what that sp will spark in other people thinking of other ideas. And in this case, it's weapon related, but it may be in other subjects, you know, later on. So um, and we wanted some uh, improvised weapons that people would really remember. And so the uh, the arrow gun, I think, is definitely one of those awesome pieces and. We've had people ask us, oh, is this like a, a prop? Is it real? Um, it's absolutely real. It really works. It's <laughs> it's way cooler than it even looks in the video. Um, it's very powerful. We actually had to turn down the pressure because it was over. It was penetrating through this um, uh, metal wall that we had behind our targets, and no. it was going into the other property. <laughs> and so we were afraid of actually hurting somebody. So it's a tremendous thing, and that was um, – developed by a uh, full screen effects 
in um, North Hollywood, um, an effects company, and it was uh, originally developed to aid um, special effects guys in shooting accurate arrows in movie production. And so we were there um, at full screen talking about another project, and we were look going through their like armory. And when I saw the uh, the arrow gun, I was like, "Oh my gosh, what the heck is that?" And that, then the, fir- the of course the light bulb is, "This is the coolest zombie killing weapon I've ever seen." So, th- so that's what it, it grew out of. So we we didn't we didn't design it um, or build it, but was what was cool about it is that they had made it for a, as a utilitarian purpose, but it was made out of all kinds of stock parts that you would have in lots of machine shops so it wasn't like some custom you know super high tech costs a hundred grand to make a prototype Mm. it's literally like steel tubing and a couple gaskets and you know boom there you go so um so it really was somebody's ingenuity in the past and we just wanted to kind of show that as like you know outside the box thinking um and that and that kind of drives all the improvised weapons and i think Pretty much all the improvised weapons we used are actual weapons that people have used um, in real situations. We did a lot of research. Um, a lot of research in the project comes out of the Yugoslav Civil War, where you had whole towns that were cut off and isolated by their enemy and basically left to starve to death. Um, and so over the course of you know months and months and months, these towns were like, basically going mad max and people everyone didn't have firearms so it's like people were you know welding kitchen knives and and doing all kinds of you know crazy stuff so there's a story in the and the other improvised weapon segment there's lots of different weapons and they all kind of um have a separate story behind where they came from so it's really just we wanted to get i i think it would be nothing cooler than for zombie fans to start you know, thinking about what skills they have and what could they do other than just saying, I'm going to go buy a $5,000 rifle, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's so cool. You took such a realistic approach, you know, not only in, you know, in the instruction that Chris was given, but uh, also just, you know, these improvised weapons because, uh, you know, again, the whole thing was, it was real, it was sold to me. None of the weapons, you know, seemed um, contrived or, or anything like, ah, uh, no one would ever build something like that. Eh, no, they just made that one up or anything because everything was just so real. And now just talking to you about these actually were real. People did actually build these things and use them in certain situations. I mean, that's, that's amazing. That is so smart. Um, that, uh, just the, the realism is just soaked throughout this whole project. And, uh, there, there's nothing, I mean, even, um, there's a segment in here, survivor Jane talking about, uh, you know, nice little gear selection and, uh, you know, going through and building yourself a nice, um, sort of, um, you know, little collection of gear that to, to kind of keep on your person at all times uh, during survival. Of course, ideally, if you want to be prepared, then you kind of get this stuff together, uh, so that, uh, you're, uh, ready to go. Uh, when this happens, but uh, tell me about this Survivor Jane uh, segment. It's uh, it's really great, I think. Oh, thanks for asking. Um, that actually came out of again. We we did research for this for over a year, so there's no like single person that this anything in this video comes from. It's really like an amalgamation of different people and different ideas. And so rather than me sitting there and thinking, oh, what would I have in uh, you know a bag? We actually, in our research, found people that have been in situations um, to where uh, they either had some of those things or they do now carry them because of um, certain things that have happened in their life. So 
Um, like if you live in a country where, you know, rape gangs are prevalent, then you figure out ways to, you know, hide weapons on your body, you know, little things like that. So it, it was not, um, it was not like us telling people, hey, go out and buy this stuff. And what we do is in every video in the series, we do a different perspective on equipment. So actually in volume two, Chris does three different segments. It's uh, a, a lot, it's very long, but it's good because he goes comprehensively through his what his decisions would be in relationship to all kinds of different gear. So the idea is that over the over the 12 volume series, you're getting so many different sets of ideas that it allows the viewer to make their up their own mind on what they think is useful and what they don't. So so it's not like a lot of people I think misconstrue that it, it's not like us saying this is the right way 100% absolutely go do this. It's this is some somebody's interpretation and um we also found that it, that women women were very interested in the subject matter and so we wanted to have something in the video series that kind of spoke to a woman's perspective on say you know gear and stuff like that so mm. thank you for that because i think that is really important like you said um you know in sort of a, a an area a subject uh, um area here that is hugely male dominated traditionally um, I, I think it's almost tempting to say, okay, we're going to get a bunch of tough guys up. You know, Chris Costa, you know, of course, he's uh, ideal for this. And we're going to get a bunch of guys up here to really, you know, shoot some guns and show you some cool weapons. But, uh, no, you took this really, this really great uh, uh, actress. And I'm not, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't even, I can't think of what her, uh, what her name is. She's known as Survival Jane, of right. course, on this DVD. But, um, you know, this really strong actress. And, um, you know, again, she just uh, made me feel really comfortable explaining things you know everything you can just basically take right off your shelf for the most part you know everything's very um improvised or um you know very common items here it's nothing you know that you have to have some specialized sort of you know weapon or survival army surplus store to get or anything i mean you know a lot of this stuff is readily available for the most part um but uh no i, I think it uh, you know everything just uh, worked together really well and just having that female perspective man was brilliant uh throw that in there and um, just uh, it rounds things out really well because again, you know, it's not just going to be all guys who are surviving. We got we got t a ton of some really tough chicks out there that are you know they're gonna man I, I know they'd show me up in you know a heartbeat and uh, so that's uh, that's really important. And of course I'm you know I'm, I'm just kidding around you know um, but uh, no that's that's huge. So thank you for uh, putting her in there and uh, and uh, yeah great perspective. So thank you. Excellent excellent. So um, we have volume two coming out. Um, of course, we have a preview of this uh, at the end of, of disc two. Um, but uh, and you mentioned a little bit, uh, I think you said you're going to get into some rifles and things like that. So uh, what's volume two got in store for us? Yeah, and actually, um, volume two, we just received it from the manufacturer this past Friday. And so we've shipped it to Amazon, and it should be for sale on Amazon by the time this interview airs. Oh, um, awesome. And I think it's actually uh, um, probably people are going to like it better than one, mainly because one, be, by its nature, has to be very, very kind of very intro level, very beginner. Um, but but uh, we go over uh, rifles, like assault rifles, long range, and into sniper rifles. Um, we go through shotguns. Um, we go through everything from bolt action World War II rifles to modern assault rifles. Um, we go over the major types of shotguns that you're most likely to find. Um, 
and um, I think overall it's it's it just kind of steps everything up a notch. Um, it's also longer. I think it's about half an hour longer than than the um, than volume one. And wow. then I think what a lot of people are going to like is again Chris does on disc two. Chris does a um, a really uh, awesome three part gear section that's pretty substantial and um, and I think a lot of guys are going to like that. So volume one we kind of had the female perspective. Volume two, we have uh, Chris going through his actual gear that he owns, like it's straight out of. He brought it up from his house, um, and then um, the we have one improvised weapon segment, and this is something that I had been thinking about for a lot. I'm a big fan of the movie Aliens from nice. 1986, and um, and uh, I always loved being in the film industry. I also, uh, long story, but I, I I do some steady cam operation. And, and James Cameron's use of a Steadicam rig to do the um, heavy machine guns uh, from Vasquez and Drake and Aliens, where mm-hmm. they had it on their body, I thought I thought a lot about that, and I was like, that could be an interesting solution, because in our our story took place in Los Angeles. There's I know a lot of Steadicam guys <laughs> live in Los Angeles, and so I thought if someone had access to a Steadicam, could they kind of build build their own Aliens type heavy weapon? system based on having that kind of body stabilization so that's kind of a a cool thing that we put on volume two where basically we have a assault rifle a 12 gauge shotgun um and actually a grenade launcher because we had it so we threw it on nice. all with a lot a, a lot of ammo capacity all ri- on this rig that um basically one person can run and that that ended up being one of the best like walking down the street you know covering the your buddies who are scavenging you know take out a horde of zombies kind of that's more of like a fun weapon but that was an improvised weapon that we kind of came up from with scratch um but again just using stuff that we happen to have so um so that's kind of cool and that's in volume two so uh, i think people if you like volume one you'll definitely like volume two and if people liked you know thought volume one was a you know a little bit too basic um they still may may like volume two um, we get into things like how you know suppressors a little bit, what they can do, what they can't do, um, and um, yeah, I think it's pretty good. Oh man, I can't wait! And you just blew my mind with that whole Steadicam thing, man, because uh, I I do a lot of camera operation myself on a much smaller scale than you do, but uh, you know I, I I've done Steadicam work and and that and and now you just mentioning that, man, I'm just like wow, wow! I can't wait to see what you guys did with this because it's uh, this is a, a great concept to me. It's um, sounds like a lot of fun, but man, if, if I'll tell you what, if, if volume two is anything like volume one, man, it's, it's going to be fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. And, uh, I just thank you for putting this out and putting so much time and, and heart and effort into this, um, because it's really important, not only from this whole, you know, in the event of a zombie outbreak, you're going to be really prepared because, uh, that is great, but this applies to just survival in general, you know, I mean, you know, who knows, who knows what's going to happen as far as, you know, wars break out. You, you just never know. And it's always best to be as prepared as possible for any given situation, especially in, in this great country we're living in. You know, and I have a lot of international listeners, but, you know, in, in the United States, at least, um, where we have the freedom uh, to be able to uh, exercise these kind of, uh, of of freedoms, to have these firearms and, and a vast array of weapons um, to be prepared with. And uh, thank you for 
putting this out there because like like I said again this applies to general survival as well and uh, so it it's extremely valuable and for the price man you, you can't beat it I mean this you know if you were to hire Chris personally to come in and, and give you personal instruction you know like he does I mean you're paying exponentially more um, than the you know the 1499 on on Amazon right now so that's uh, that's amazing so thank you for the, all this hard work well, thank you, and thank you for also recognizing the packaging because, like what you said about LPs and stuff, that's that's very much what we were thinking. Is we didn't want to, we wanted to make something that if someone bought it and they wanted to collect the twelve volumes, that it it felt like that they were actually, you know, not only getting the the video, but also something that was, um, you know, felt like good value for fifteen bucks. So, absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, I recommend everybody go out and get this. Of course, I'm going to have the link um, up in Amazon to Volume 1. And, of course, by the time this comes out, like you said, uh, Volume 2 is probably going to be out there. So um, if that is available, I'll put that link up also. But uh, go to Amazon. You can uh, find it on the link on the website or just go there and do a search, and it'll come up. But this is Operation Z Volume 1, and for the price, like I said, it's a steal. You're really gonna love it. It it run, you know, it's going on three hours worth of content on this, plus a map. This this awesome packaging. You just can't beat it. So, man, Damien, did I uh, did I skip over anything? Are we uh, anything else you'd like to like to add tonight here before we call tonight? Yeah, I, I just the, just the last thing is that in the twelve volume series, I just want to reiterate that it's not um, it's not just about firearms. We we do that first because that's what zombie fans tend to want to see first. Um, and it also helps us lay lay a groundwork that is beneficial later. But um, volume three we're working on right now, and that's a, a vehicle operations um, uh, set. So we, we get away from weapons a little bit into kind of um, how to customize and turn your average, you know, four-door commuter sedan into something that could actually be usable in a um, survival situation. Um, volume four is going to be emergency medical. Um, which is going to have tremendous, I think, um, informational value way beyond the zombie apocalypse because it's it's really really good stuff if, about um, catastrophic medical situations that could happen and when you don't have uh, quick access to uh, you know medevac or something. And then later in the series, we get into team operations, all base operations, all kind of like really really cool stuff. So for me. These first videos are kind of like the ones I got to do to get to the fun stuff later on. So wow. I think if people like these first couple, like to me, the good stuff is, is still down the line. But we had to get we had to do these to lay the foundation. So, man, if, you, if you're just getting to the fun stuff here down the road, I mean, I had a ton of fun with with the first one here. So, holy cow, I can't even imagine where we're going. I mean, this is I can't wait. I can't wait to see where uh, this goes throughout 12 volumes, man. I mean, I can I can only imagine. I can only, do you have all 12 kind of planned out right now? Are you kind of just doing like a, a, a block of volumes at a time and then going from there? Or how do you, how do you have them planned out? Yeah, we're, we have them all structured basically already. And that's why even with like the, the L.A. backstory, we, it, you learn there's a piece of it in every volume. So nice. we, there, it's actually a very in-depth backstory, but we didn't want to have a two-hour backstory on top of a, you know, three-hour DVD so it's basically it plays out throughout the whole series and then um, but we're very open to as as we're in production if people contribute you know if they contact us and they have some great ideas um, like I said it's very much we just want to put as many like good ideas in there that we can specifically to help people 
spur their own creativity after watching this. Cause that's, I think really the exciting thing for me is to, to elevate those, those conversations you have with your buddy about what you would do, you know, or your girlfriend or your, you know, significant other or whatever to just like a level beyond kind of where it's been for a while now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. You sure got me excited about this and I'm sure a lot of other people are as well and they will be as I hope they go and pick this up. So Damien, man, it has been fantastic talking with you tonight. Thank you for giving us so much insight and background in Operation Z and just getting getting us all so pumped up for the rest of the series because I can't wait, man. So thanks for your time. All right. Thanks, Gordon. Okay. Have a good night, man. All right. Bye. We just heard me speak with Damien from Lugdunham about Operation Z. And uh, we got some great background about this really exciting DVD series. And I'm honored right now to be speaking with the instructor, firearms expert, among many other things, Mr. Chris Costa. Welcome to the show, sir. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for taking your time this afternoon to, to talk with me about these fantastic DVDs. Um, but before we get into that, I just got to say, after seeing this, you're the man that I went around during the zombie apocalypse. Um, just, uh, man, man, you really got it down. Uh, obviously just an expert. You have so much, uh, history with firearms, with, uh, instruction, with, uh, different kinds of weapons. So, um, you know, doing this is nothing new to you when it comes to weapons and firearms, but in operation Z, you're putting it in the context of this fictional zombie outbreak. Um, so, uh, what were your thoughts when you were approached with this? Well, you know, the first thought was, you know, it's a bizarre, this whole concept, this whole genre um, is is not the way my brain thinks. And I guess you have to kind of separate yourself a little bit on your everyday life and your experiences and the way you perceive things in certain environments. And you have to, I guess, kind of take a step out of that and realize that not everybody thinks along the same terms as aggressively say as uh as maybe i do you know there's a there's a certain there's a certain group of people now that take training um survival um protection of their family very very serious they train for it uh in a very responsible and productive manner they look at situations like katrina um and they realize that you know law enforcement may not save you one day, and the only people that may save you is your family, your friends, uh, your close tied-in network, or yourself. <clears throat> and when you kind of look at it like that from that point of view, there's there's um, there's another side to that. And you know, call it whatever you want with Operation Z. Uh, there's a little bit of storyline there. About 15% uh, of the actual DVD is storyline, and the rest is very, very usable information in the event, you know, something bad happens. And in regards to that, it's a, you know what it is? It's, it's a chocolate coating on a Flintstone vitamin to make people swallow it and take their vitamins just a little bit easier. Meaning we're, we're luring a, a different type of person into, um, this kind of culture, so to speak, uh, that, maybe isn't completely to the right as far as maybe some of us are. And I think to bring in uh, fresh perspectives, fresh people, 
um, to give them a little bit of awareness to where they even maybe go further in their career, seek more training, um, more knowledge of, you know, of some of the things that could happen to them. I think that that's ultimately what we're trying to do with this DVD. I mean, there's going to be people that are going to look at it and they're just going to love the information. They're going to love the backstory and that's it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's, it kind of is what it is. I mean, they're the type of people that watch The Walking Dead and they'll watch, you know, uh, World War Z with Brad Pitt, things like that, just sheerly from an entertainment standpoint. But a lot of times what we found with the DVDs that I took part in before that were all geared for weapons, weapons, shooting people, um, what happens in an IHOP if somebody comes in there and starts getting people down to uh, Colorado movie theater in the event, some guy jumps in there with a Batman costume and starts blowing people away. As much as that is real life, as much as that is hardcore, and as much as my mind is always in that frame of reference, this is um, a little bit easier to digest to get somebody maybe more involved in the firearms community or survival community um, because at the end of the day, we're there to spark a a thought process of maybe, maybe you even have a better way to do it. We're trying to get the gears turning in your head so that if you watch this DVD and you're there sheerly for entertainment, you really have to kind of think about it in regards to, huh, what if this did happen? You know, am I really as prepared as I, I thought I was? I watched the DVD from sheerly uh, and purely a entertainment point of view, but now, I don't know, maybe, maybe I need to kind of prepare myself a little bit better, prepare my family a little bit better in the event something uh, of what most people uh, in my neck of the woods would call the shit hits the fan um, side of the house end up going through. So I think it's a, I think a lot of people on my side, on the very aggressive side, the gun toting side, the you know, a way of life, which is, you know, for them and their families, they don't really understand what it is that I took part in. Hmm. They kind of look at it as you got caught up in a zombie thing because it's very, very popular and it's because of what everybody's doing. And to a certain extent, we are exploiting that. We're exploiting it in a manner to give information to people and to kind of lure them into our community. Hmm. And a lot of people kind of call bullshit on that, but that's really that's really what we're trying to do is to increase people's awareness and give people something to think about aside from just something that's entertaining. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You, I think you've succeeded in that because that's exactly what has happened to me. Um, obviously I became interested in this because I'm, I'm a huge zombie fan and I love talking about, you know, what would you do during an outbreak and just having that kind of fun. It's really fun for me to talk about that kind of thing. Um, but certainly I am no expert in firearms whatsoever. I do shoot from time to time, but, uh, by no means am I at any sort of, uh, an expert level. I'm not even a novice. I'm, I'm a very much a beginner. Um, but watching this, I couldn't wait to see some zombie stuff and, and shooting some zombies and, and getting a little bit of story there. But once I began watching this and seeing your instruction and, and, uh, you just doing your thing, it just captivated me and it got me really, really interested. And in, I was learning about all these different kind of firearms and why, why would you use a revolver and why would you use something semi-automatic? And, and it just, it really, um... It really opened my eyes to all new things, and now I, I can't wait for the next one. 
and I uh, can't wait to get more of it. So you've really succeeded, I think, in uh, in doing that. Well, there's there's three things that we're trying to accomplish, and that is to make it entertaining so that you don't turn it off. We're trying to make it educational so that you're actually learning something from the DVD. Maybe you learned a better way to do something that we started to talk about or that we talk about and discuss, and you actually now have a better way in which to do it. Either way, we inspired that. So the education side is very, very important. The other side is the motivational side, you know, to now go out and seek more knowledge and try to, I mean, what we saw with Katrina, mm. as we all stood back on the outside in, in our safe habitats, was complete and utter lawlessness within a short period of time. And what I try to explain to a lot of people on a regular basis is that, you know, we look at it from the perspective of infected people, but we also are going to be fighting ourselves. We're going to be fighting our neighbors. We're going to be fighting for resources. You know, you can look at this as, well, take away the infected people and let's talk about a global economic collapse. Who's coming to help you? Law enforcement? Military? There's, there's not enough assets for that. So self-preservation kind of comes down to just you and your network of friends and family. And I think what was most interesting on the project was kind of putting yourself into, when you think about, say, going back to Katrina, some people, the way I look at it in my, it, it, when, when I kind of look at it from my perspective with my friends, is that whether we have laws or not, or whether we have laws or not, it, it doesn't, I'm not just barely holding on to the type of person that I am because I'm constrained under laws. Does that make sense? Yeah. Meaning, meaning I try to be a good person and I'm not a good person only because I have laws that say you better be a good person or you go to jail. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people that just barely hang on to that thread because there are laws in place. And if you do wrong and if you get off that leash too far, you're going to get freaking choked up and you're going to go to jail and there's going to be consequences, things like that. So when you remove that element, that element is no longer there. Certain people turn into animals, truly turn into animals. The criminal element is off the hook. So whatever you want to look at it as fighting infected people or fighting gang members or the criminal element, it's, at some point, there are going to be many things that you are fighting, and the DVDs kind of talk about that. You know, we, we talk about, okay, what do you do with the infected people, and then, you know, your fears and, and what you need to do to protect yourselves, but also a huge, you know, element in regards to the criminal side of the house, which is very, very real, which everybody knows is extremely real. They can see it. They can touch it. They saw what happened. You know, women, holy cow. I mean, a woman alone out on the street. I mean, you gotta, you gotta pray to God that at that point, you know, if it was your wife or your sister or your mom, that they want to get raped, you know, and killed and, you know, every other aspect that happens with that. But I think that the DVD gives you that perspective of, what to think about. And when you think about L.A., I think one of the unique parts about L.A. is the diversity within cultures. You know, just like New York, 
you're looking at certain regions around the United States where now you're dealing with, you know, African American, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, um, Hispanic. You are dealing with a, mul uh, a multitude of nationalities there. And then you're also dealing with certain cultures that basically within certain regions of L.A., they all kind of cultivate together. They're in these groups, which means like you're not just going to be an outsider walking into that portion of the city and think you're going to be okay. You know what I mean? Because right. of the way their cultures are and everything else about it is. And when you look at going back to the DVDs, I think really all that it comes down to is that thought process of how do we, how do we not only survive the infected people, how do we survive the criminal element, but just how do we survive in general? Just general survival is huge. And what happens if you get injured? Because something as simple as a cut, you know, from a rusty piece of rebar could turn into something even more catastrophic, yet something so simple. Because your ability to seek out medical attention is there's, there's, there's no doctors running around where you're at. Um, so it leaves you very vulnerable to where you have to think about a lot of different things. You know, for anybody who has uh, young children, making sure that any type of medicine that they have, they have access to those medicines because, you know, what happens if just as simple as a kid with asthma, you know, now you can't go to Walgreens. Walgreens isn't there. Walgreens was raided a long time ago when everything collapsed to where all the drugs and all the narcotics, everything was basically taken out. So now what do you do for your kid? What happens if he has a panic attack? How do you get your kid under control so that they don't end up, you know, going into cardiac arrest, other aspects of it? And I think that's the hard challenge with the DVDs. But I also think, you know, one of the other cooler aspects of the DVDs is don't underestimate certain people. You know, as you watch the handgun volume, you know, you watch um you know, men shoot a variety of guns, and some of the women shoot a variety of guns. And these are people that have no experience. The one, uh, the one girl, you know, that's obviously a very petite frame. She's 19 years old. Uh, in one of the long-range DVDs, she's running like 338 Napua Magnum. I mean, that is a gun that basically special operations guys run due to the lethality of that cartridge. And she is firing a 300-grain cartridge and doing headshots at 100 yards after minimal training um, that I had with her. Because the one thing that I didn't have is days to train everybody. It was kind of more like a firearms awareness. And a lot of people also looked at it as like, why the heck are they training and why are they shooting all those weird-ass guns? You know why? Because there's a lot of weird-ass guns that people have that you may run across. So as far as diversity goes, sure, I at my house have a bunch of guns that are pretty much the equivalent to what military and special operations guys carry on a regular basis. I have access to that because I own those things. But when you look at it from, a, uh, from the point of view where you might be doing battlefield pickups, street pickups, you know, what's out on the street? What gun is this? How does it work? You know, we talk about in the handgun DVD something as simple as, you know, you have this revolver that says 357 Magnum, and then I come and join your group, and then all of a sudden you say, hey, I have no ammo for this gun. I have this ammo, but it doesn't work with the gun, but there's 38 specials. But you don't realize that there's 38 specials will fit in a 357 Magnum. 
Hmm. You know what I mean? Right. But then you may not know that a 357 Magnum ammunition is not supposed to go into a 38 because you're about to have a parts gun, you know, hmm. if, if you start putting those kind of pressures. So a lot of the DVD is that, you know, awareness uh, within the firearms community of what you, what you like to do and what you have to do are two different things. So, oh yeah, but, uh, I think that constant challenge. Don't underestimate who you have with you and what their capabilities are, and then not only that, but be smart enough to utilize that person's capabilities. I can put that 19-year-old female on a uh, on that 338 Lapua Magnum. We can get distances to certain certain yard lines of where we would need that gun to be effective for us if we were to set up more of a um, uh, a fortified position, so to speak, so we could already range it out, give her that information, and then she would have the data she would need to take a 400-yard or 800-yard shot and cover us while we're out there maybe picking up food and resources and other equipment that might be getting airdropped in. So the, the fact is you would never normally think about putting a 19-year-old female on a gun that, that, that is that big, you would think that's a male job. But what better suited for us to be humping, you know, whether it be uh, food or water or any other supplies, so we can do it quicker. You know what I mean? It's like right. you don't give a female a rocket and an M60 and extra belts to carry with her and think she's going to be a force multiplier out on the battlefield, but you give her the right thing, she can be awesome. And, you, and it's not just with females. There's a lot of guys out there that, I mean, if, 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 if you had to utilize them and it was something other than a keyboard and a pencil, you know, they're not going to be able to carry or hump much equipment. So you, a, a lot of the DVD talks about how to utilize people to their potential, I guess. Yeah. Very, very smart. And uh, you're right. This whole thing is very universal. You know, you're packaging it within the zombie thing. But uh, this, it's very, very important information in a lot of different uh, aspects and a lot of different scenarios. It, it could be anything. And um, I just uh, love that uh, that's, that's the approach that you took to it. Um, and uh, I also love um, something that you brought up, too. You know, not only, you know, should you not underestimate, you know, the people that you're with, but I think you have to take a realistic uh, look at yourself um, in this situation. You know, you, you apply it to zombies uh, in the DVD. And you, I, I'd love whenever you were talking about how, you know, could you actually bring yourself when the rubber hits the road? Could you actually bring yourself to shoot somebody in the head, shoot a zombie in the head, or chop its arm off, or do something like that. I mean, literally, when blood is splattering everywhere, you might get blood on you. I mean, could you bring yourself to do that? And I think you really have to examine yourself psychologically um, and uh, be, be sure that you're, you're prepared for something like that because something I see being part of the horror community and talking about zombies all the time is a lot of people out there saying, oh, man, best thing in the world would be for a zombie apocalypse. I couldn't wait to just get out there and just, you know, chop off some heads and then, you know, get out the shotgun and just go to town. That'd be great. But I don't think that most of those people have a real realistic uh, outlook or view of what that would really entail psychologically. I mean, it, it, it'll mess with you tremendously and you got to know that. So that was important for you to bring. Yeah. Up. No, I think that's uh, I think that's a, a, a great, you're talking about capabilities, right? Both mentally and yeah. what you're actually able to do. And when, you know, when we were sitting there shooting that target, we're at seven yards and 
I know you you mentioned it. Hey, I, I'm going to be shooting headshots, you know, during the zombie apocalypse. It's like we have the average people who couldn't even hit the damn target. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you think you're going to be doing headshots, you're barely hitting a human torso, and you're not under any type of stress. Nobody's coming after you. You don't have hordes of people after you. You don't have real people with real guns shooting back at you because they want your shit. So that's a whole other dynamic that ends up happening. You know, we look at it from one dimension, which is, you know, this zombie who's approaching you, and maybe it's four to five, and they're equally spaced out, which is which is good. And you're just sitting there, and you're at a gas station convenience store because that's where you sought refuge. And you know, it's it's you're, you're shooting them, and it's all fun. And then all of a sudden, you're like, oh, wait a minute, I got to reload this thing. <laughs> oh, that that's weird. Oh, it had a malfunction. Oh, that's that kind of sucks because all these people are still walking at me. And, you know, you look at it from, you know, just this crazy perspective and then you're like, Oh, ammo conservation. Yeah. We don't have a lot of ammo. So we got to be careful what we expend, which means we have to hit what we're shooting at, which means we don't want to shoot unless we know we can get a hit. And then, like you said, what is your real capability? You know, so we have, we have a, um, a performance issue, which basically means that we've got to get a bullet from point A to point B. And we've got to do it as surgical as possible if we're talking about zombies, right? We're talking about headshots. We're talking about doing headshots when we know that special operations guys that train on a daily basis, this means wake up, hit a shoothouse, hit the flat range, hit the shoothouse on a daily basis, go into hostage rescue scenarios. When we look at the British SAS during the Iranian embassy, you know, during that siege, a realistic hostage rescue seas, one of the most successful ones to date. We know that the initial shots to those terrorists were done to the body. These are guys that were trained to go in and do headshots. Why? Because the body's easier, it's faster. Now, eventually the guys either got the guns run to the head, so shot them in the body to gain control to get to the head, or they were basically contact shots after they dragged them to the door and they were security rounds put into their head. So these are guys that have a tremendous amount of experience. Now we're talking about the average person who watched Sons of Guns, you know, and see a bunch of pumpkins being shot up with Tannerite and they explode and they have a good time going, oh, yeah, I'm going to be out there shooting headshots all day. You know, it's like go to your local range and watch the cowboy next to you barely hit the target. I mean, that's going to be the guy who's next to you out on the street doing so-called headshots, expending more valuable ammunition, um, which, is, uh, which is definitely not, not what you want. Then I think you elaborated on the, the biggest fact, watching people around you and, and are you prepared to basically be doing that? You know what I mean? Yeah. Are you prepared mentally to do that? Are you prepared mentally to be in a hand-to-hand or knife or edged weapon style confrontation? And uh, it is much more difficult to sit there and fathom maneuver an edged weapon on somebody that close, that personal, all of a sudden realizing that what just went in your mouth was somebody else's blood Mm. because you had your mouth open when you were doing it. And then taking that kind of baggage with you on a regular basis, you know? So it's, um, you know, there's definitely two two sides to this, which is, you know, what what is happening mentally and what mentally you may have to be prepared to do. And then, of course, at the same token, what, um, what you're physically capable of. And knowing what your limitations truly are. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and, and one thing I, I just marveled at uh, how you did 
you know, you, you've been all over. I mean, you're just an expert in this field. Um, it goes without saying. Um, so it's obvious you're at a level that not many people are at. You're taking a group of students who basically know virtually nothing about, uh, about these firearms. And you've really come down to their level. Um, and you're very patient, very understanding. You worked with them so great. Um, so how much of a challenge was that for you? I mean, how, how often do you interact with students who, who are at this level that, that know nothing at all? Um, yeah, so that's a great question. There, within the firearms community, there are um, there are probably within the United States there are probably five uh, or a handful of what you would call like kind of top tier instructors. Um, and aside from that, what you're looking at is instructors that people may not know their names. They may not be very, very well known to the masses as much as, you know, uh, some of us are. However, the service that they do is extremely, extremely important. And that service that they normally provide is taking somebody who just bought a gun or is completely um, novice at, you know, running firearms, truly like shooting them. The, the way they need to really be shot. And they do this introduction, so to speak. Um, so most of the time, the people that I end up getting in my classes have had some type of formal firearms training. It's not their first radio. They didn't just go buy a gun and show up. They've had some level of experience in regards to the firearms community. Um, so I guess when you look at that, as far as the DVD goes, it is extremely challenging because it's the type of people that I generally don't interact with. Mm. If I do, it's very, very small. The percentage of me grabbing a new shooter who's never shot a gun, putting it in their hands, explaining side alignment, trigger control, breathing, follow through, natural respiratory pause, recoil management, all those factors are generally done. Like I had, I had a series of a, a, a couple hours on handguns with all of them. Not one. They didn't give me like one student to work with for a couple hours. It was, here's a multitude of guns that we want these people as if they just picked them up off the street during a zombie apocalypse. We want you to show like what are the most important attributes about this weapon. Some of them had sights. Some of them didn't have sights. Some of them had adjustable sights. A multitude of calibers from 44 to 4570 to I mean, like, you're, you're dealing with I'm not just training um, and starting from the ground up here, but I'm also constantly switching weapons. Well, that's important to the viewer because we're trying to give them the biggest bang for the buck in regards to how certain types of firearms work because, you know, you're dealing with semi-automatic guns to revolvers to semi-automatic rifles to shotguns to pump guns to semi-auto guns. To, you know, to the way the breaches break on, on some of these style of weapons, to lever action guns. So they all kind of behave slightly differently, and they all load and unload differently, and all the buttons and controls are in different places on all of these guns. So the goal of the, the DVD was to take, obviously, a bunch of a bunch of people that do not have any firearms experience whatsoever, and then, not only that, but more importantly for the viewer, change up the guns that we're doing along with changing up the students. 
So for me, it was extremely challenging because I couldn't just work with one person for a couple hours and make them uh, the type of shooter that I would want to start seeing them grow to be. And, and that's the hard part. You know, you're giving them just bare bones. What you're almost doing is the equivalent of you had three extra guns in your backpack. You ran up to somebody out on the street who, you know, you need your help. And you're like, here's a gun. Here's how I want you to shoot it. Put it in your hands. Touch, press, touch, press, touch, press. Extend your arms out. Like literally a two-minute brief. Mm-hmm. And then you do this person to employ a gun. And like that, that was the more probably of, of what I had to give, which, which sucks because I want to be able to give them more. Yeah. So it's, it's just a reality though. Man, well done on that though, because that certainly just had to be a challenge just uh, for you to have this limited amount of time with this group of people. But the amazing thing is you saw progress in these people as the DVD went on. They, they got better right before our eyes. And that, that owes to your instruction and how you dealt with them and the advice that you gave because what you were telling them was exactly what they needed to know and what they needed to adjust. So well done. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So like I said, man, you left me just wanting so much more after this DVD. I'm so looking forward to uh, Volume 2, which is out right now. Uh, Both volumes are available on Amazon. And um, so uh, what can we look forward to in uh, in Volume 2 now? Well, in Volume 2, we start getting into, I believe, I can't remember how they broke it up uh, 100%, but I know that they start getting into long guns where we start looking into shotguns, we start looking into carbines, and we look into more of the precision instruments. So everything from semi-automatic 308s to bolt-action 338s to 22 platforms. I think that, you know, when you think about this project, even for me, I have a lot of, call it, man-killer calibers. Hmm. I mean, they have one purpose, and that, and that purpose <laughs> is to engage people. And when you start thinking about a survival situation, you start thinking about it in terms of, well, what can put food on a table? And what would you rather use your big calibers for? And you start realizing that you really want to save your, your big calibers for people-to-people um, type of uh, engagements, meaning Anybody who has a gun, they're a huge threat to you, so therefore you're wanting to save this style of cartridges for people that have guns that are able to shoot them at distance and you want the equivalent back and forth. Hmm. And you start realizing for the zombies, why would you need anything more than a 22? And quite frankly, you can carry a brick of 500 rounds of ammunition in your backpack and run that 22 all day long. Right. Um, and the amount of ammo that 500 rounds takes up of 22 in a backpack as compared to, say, 5.56 or, uh, or any other calibers is severely different. So I think uh, even for me, you know, I, I know as soon as the video was over, I, I ran out and bought two more 22s, another pistol, and then I bought another, a, uh, another 22 rifle because you realize that it's not just for oh, shooting no. infected people or zombies. Upstairs. It's also for survival for small game. I mean, it's great that I can take down an elk if that's what's nearby and feed on that, but the likelihood in, in a city-style atmosphere of having big game around 
it's it's very unlikely. But when we're looking at birds and we're looking at, you know, no. um, uh, squirrels to any other small, I mean, trust me, when you're hungry, you're going to eat a dog. You know, make fun of it all day long as much as you want, but dogs and cats are fair game. Exactly, really exactly. At the end of the day. So the thing about it is is that I, I don't want to necessarily hit a cat with my 300 Win Max <laughs> because there won't be much meat left over <laughs> by the time the projectile is done ripping through it. So you start realizing that actually, you know, a 22 is extremely, extremely important uh, in, in a survival situation whether you're shooting zombies or having to shoot small game as well. And they're much more quieter to employ than a mm-hmm. you know, 300 Win Mag 308 or a 338 Lapua Magnum. So, um, you know, I, I know there's a lot of survivalists out there. You know, a 50's got a, got a reason, and that reason's, you know, anti-personnel or, or, or material, stopping vehicles, things like that. But you definitely don't want to hit a deer with a 50 cal because you're not going to be really eating much you know, at the end of the day. So it's just going to be a bunch of uh, blood, little bit of meat, and a lot of hair everywhere. So, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And that's so smart. You know, it's something, it's sort of counterintuitive again, you know, and that's, uh, I'm glad you brought that up about the 22, um, because that, that sort of surprised me. Um, because again, a lot of what I hear in my horror zombie circles, you know, just talking about doing this is, you know, you want to make the biggest hole that you can possibly make. So let's get let's get the biggest gun we can. And make sure we got that. And who wants a twenty-two? I mean, that's that's nothing. But you have to be very smart. Every gun, it, you know, it's like having this having this tool chest. You know, every gun has a very specific use, a very specific set of circumstances that you're going to want to use it under. And you have to be very smart yeah. about that. So, absolutely. You know, I mean, I, like I said, I, I I have a couple suppressed twenty-twos at at the house. Uh, you saw in the DVD how quiet they were, hmm. and. You know, the thing about it is is that when we're talking about making movement, you know, a, a lot of it is understanding that what do people do in natural disasters? They board up their house, right? So they lock everything down. But what happens if you have to get in there? So they boarded it up, but they left. They took off. But now, because you decided to stick around, because that was your thought process with you and your family, whatever it was that you were at, it's no longer there. So now you need to actually go somewhere else and seek refuge. So having the right kind of tools with you to breach is very, very vital. You know, when we look at a 12-gauge, as an example, we look at that as, you know, um, can I shoot animals with that? Absolutely. I can run double-op buck or I can run slug. Um, I can shoot somebody at distance with the slug, and then I can run run a gun really fast with double-op buck and put a lot of people down, both infected people and the criminal element with the 12-gauge. But a 12-gauge, I can also take that double-op buck. It's not it's not feasible. It's very risky, and you better know what you're doing um, with the right door jams. And and, um, and the, the, you really don't want to get in the metal doors because you're going to get fragmentation back on you. But, I mean, there's specialty rounds that normally are used for breaching, and that's so that there's less fragmentation when you got to basically punch locks and uh, deadbolts, right? But I can also take the door down if the hinges are exposed by running the hinges um, on a door to get in. So it doesn't matter that it's locked. Um, I can blow the hinges and get in that way. Hasty, you can do it with that lock up, but you've got to worry about what type of 
what the door is constructed at any door jam, but you could get into a place very, very quickly with the 12 gauge. You know what I mean? I could run a 12 gauge really fast on a, on drywall and punch through it really quickly enough to start a few holes to where I can start maneuvering through that drywall. The type of tools that you carry for breaching equipment, you know what I mean? There was that joke in there about the ninja sword sliced at Stanley Fat Max, mm-hmm. but it's true. You know, I mean, the versatility that I can get out of a Fat Max to breach, to pry, to get in, to get out of different places, there's, those things are lifesavers. And I think, you know, when, when you look at, you know, some of the magazines that have these weird exotic knives and shit, it's like, that's fine, but trust me, that is going to be the last thing that's going to serve you any good out on the street. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think it's giving that kind of awareness is, is what's important. Wow. And you've certainly done that. Chris, I just, uh, you know, you've done such fine work here. And I think that uh, you've, you're doing what you've set out to do. And, and again, that's to draw in people like me that uh, are really into the zombie thing. But man, you know, this has far broader, um, you know, uh, applications than just talking about what you're going to do during the zombie apocalypse. And uh, I just thank you so much for your hard work on this. I uh, can't wait to see Volume 2 and the subsequent volumes after that, because I know it's going different places that aren't necessarily, it's not all weapons and firearms necessarily. You're going into other uh, more, you know, survival topics that aren't weapons, you know, that are uh, uh, more, you know, medical things, you know, and, and uh, cars and transportation, things like that. And uh, it's going a lot of places. So this is going to be very thorough, and I'm, I'm very excited. So... This is this is great. Are you going to be part of uh, stuff that comes up that isn't necessarily weapons and firearm related? Well, some, you know, the I, I think what what they're trying to do is bring in experts, uh, whether they're medical experts that do basically, you know, uh, medical and firearms training specifically for uh, normal military personnel or law enforcement personnel and the armed citizen. Uh, I think they're trying to bring in experts for that. Uh, we had talked about some vehicle stuff and, you know, some modified PQB stuff. So if it pertains to me, then uh, then yes. If not, you know, the, the goal is to not drive my car outside my lane and, and get too far out in the field. And, and to actually remember the, the goal is to provide good information, educational information. Right. So there, there are a lot of people that have specifics. I would like to see them do something on survival you know, hasty survival within an urban environment, how to start fires, you know, how to, how to provide food, you know, different things that can be utilized to keep you warm in the event that it happens in the city where it's, it's not hot right now, it's actually cold. So I think that it's a matter of finding the right people to provide that, that good service and educational along with a little bit of entertainment. And I like their approach, which is, you know, they're pulling us so-called survivors out of this. So we're, we're the series of survivors that have come out of this chaotic situation who are now utilizing this DVD to help people in the event it ever happens to you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, brings, so I, it, it brings sort of that perceived even more, you have more cred almost, a, a yeah. perceived amount of cred because of that uh, when you're watching. So I thought that was well done. Well, thank you. I really appreciate so. it. And, you know, it's not the end all be all. It's, um, it's, I think it's something that really hasn't been done, you know, in regards to, we read the books, it's, you know, Zombie Apocalypse, Survival Guide 101, and, 
you know, what, what we did with the um, DVDs that I was a part of at the last company that I worked for, they were very aggressive and they were very, very specific in regards to firearms, meaning there were for the firearms community, for people that carried weapons, there were carbine DVDs and long-range precision and shotgun DVDs, but that's, that's not this market. This market is completely different. This market never bought those other DVDs. Right. You know what I'm saying? This market doesn't give one rat's ass about those other DVDs. They may now, you know, if they want more information, they may look into those DVDs because they do, and they are very specific into firearms. But this is kind of the broad spectrum to give you a different thought process on what would I do? What would me and my family do? What would me and my children do? What happens if I get separated from my family? Do they have the means necessary to protect themselves in the event we get separated? You know, maybe we're, maybe we're in a building and all of a sudden as we're all trying to escape, you know, I end up, you know, providing some cover fire or something and they take off and then all of a sudden that access point that I was just about to go through gets cut off. And I end up coming out on another portion of the street and I have no clue where they're at because they decided to go from one building into another building into a, you know what I mean? And I end up losing them for a period of time. Do they have what's necessary to protect themselves from, you know, uh, infected people along with the criminal element. Right. So, you know, there's there's so many different um, ways to think about uh, the situation. And I think that's one thing good, um, that people can make fun of the zombie side of the house all day long, and they, and they can kind of laugh and joke about it and say, it's, oh, it's kind of retarded, it's gay, it'll never happen. But really what it is is it's people that are trying to prepare for that worst-case scenario. Mm-hmm. And, and they use this as a means of get, getting a thought process together of what would I do, how would I protect my family, how do my family need to be, how do we need to be set up, what gear do we need to run, what are going to be good firearms to have, what are going to be you know, some survival things that I need. And at the end of the day, can I hump it? Can I carry it? You know what I mean? And that's why most of my setup that I have at my house are, are the type of things that mountain climbers would use. Well, why do they use them? Because they're small, because they're light, they're compactable, and they're, they, they, don't, they don't attract a lot of weight. And weight is an extreme issue because if you're making up the other difference in guns and ammo, weight's a huge factor. So if you want to, you know, run down the road with some 1970s pots and pans and shit, go ahead. But it just means that you're not able to carry some of the other resources that you may need to carry. So everything becomes a trade-off. And at the end of the day, um, ounces, ounces equals pounds and pounds equals pain. And somebody's got to carry it at the end of the day. So, you know, light is fast. Yeah. But, yeah. And uh, it's just a great thing that, that you're doing because the more people who are aware of uh, what they're going to need to do in a survival situation and uh, the more people who are making smart decisions as far as what they're using um, and how they're using it. You know, I, I just think, you know, the, the worst possible thing could be for just a bunch of cowboys just running wild and shooting and firing all over the place and it, it just to be complete chaos. Well, like I said, the more people who are um, informed and are educated to some extent on how and when and why to use these things, the better it's going to be for all of us. And you're pulling in a completely different audience than uh, than before. And I think that is totally smart, totally legit. It is awesome. 
And uh, again, I just got to thank you for this great work. And I, I just hope to, to see a lot more doing this um, because not only are you great at what you do, but you have great presence on screen. You come across very, very well. And um, so that helps too. But uh, man, fantastic well, job. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Well, Chris, man, it's been a pleasure and an honor talking with you today. And um, this is a, a fantastic DVD set. I'm going to have links up on my website um, where you can go out and get this. And of course, links to uh, where people can uh, find out more about you. Um, where um, On the web right now, where would uh, people go to find out about what you're doing right now and uh, what you have to offer? So the, um, the fastest place to, to basically stay up to date with what's going on with me is on Facebook. I'm under uh, Chris Costa Athlete. Um, that's the easiest thing. And a lot of times I've got admins on there along with myself, and I probably answer 100 questions every day um, of, of what people are asking, just different things on related to firearms and gear and stuff like that and or my admins do as well. So Facebook is is a great way to stay up on what's going on. And then, you know, people can also see some of the courses that I'm doing. I mean, I uploaded a video just uh, today of guys uh, jumping out of an airplane, you know, doing a beach landing. And those are special operations military guys just working on their skills. Wow. And, uh, you know, it was, a, it was an ended big jump. It was like, hey, let's jump, you know, do a beach landing, you know, and then have some dinner and food and good times. But people can kind of stay up on who I'm training and what I'm doing and actually see photos from the class and read after actions to understand a little bit more about what it is that I do uh, on a, on a full-time basis. And then if they want to, they can swing by the website, which is Costa Ludus and Ludus is spelled L U D U S.com. And I mean, we, we have our, that's where you'd register for classes and, you know, you can buy hats and shirts and things like that, you know, just normal, um, normal, uh, I guess, apparel style gear, things like that. But uh, if they're interested, they can swing by there. Fantastic. Well, I recommend everyone listening right now, go out, check out Operation Z, and certainly go out and check out what Chris is doing because this is some fantastic stuff, man, and uh, you made me a fan. So uh, can't wait to see what you're doing next. So thank you again for uh, spending this time with me, man, and uh, let's do it again soon. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. You have a good day. You too. You, drag that out of here and throw it on the fire. Nothing down here. All right, go ahead, Don, and give him a hand. Let's go check out the house. Man. There's something there. I heard a noise. All right, Vince. Hit him in the head, right between the eyes. Good shot. Okay, he's dead. Let's go get him. That's another one for the fire. Hey, now I'm going to bring you a very special, very unannounced bonus segment to this week's show. Now, this the reason I'm doing this, and I didn't announce it at the beginning of the show, and I'm not going to say anything about it at the end of the show, is uh, I had this show done. Everything was recorded, everything was pieced together, and I was actually done with the show early in the week, which is quite amazing, um, being that I'm usually up to the last minute. But this week, I, I did some things in advance. So um, this one came in a little bit late, but I wanted to get it on the show as soon as possible because it's really exciting. Um, who you're going to hear me talking with is a man going by the name of Tom H. Now, Tom H. runs a fantastic horror blog. It's at tomhblogofhorror.blogspot.com. And uh, this this guy is one of the coolest 
uh, supporters of indie horror out there that I've met. Um, really, he has a heart, man. He is all about the independent filmmaker. He promotes them and uh, does a lot of write-ups on his website and uh, has some great things. So definitely check out the website. Um, but the main reason we're talking is because come uh, September 2013, next September, he's launching a brand new horror film festival in Minnesota, and it's going to be called the Dead in Dixon Indie Horror Film Festival. Uh, it's really exciting, and uh, if you go to his site right now, uh, the first thing up there, as of today anyhow, is um, this uh, sort of call to all independent horror filmmakers. And he's got some really great ideas behind this. I love his philosophy and just, like I said, the heart that he has for independent horror, because you know, as, as well, I am a huge supporter of independent horror, and uh, I think independent filmmakers need uh, to have a voice. They need to, uh, you know, be exposed as much as possible. So go to the website, check it out. Um, you can uh, donate if you have a few extra bucks. You can put it right towards this project, which he really, really needs to get this thing off the ground. Um, but uh, something else you can do is just spread the word. Uh, tell your friends about it. Um, you know, write about it on Facebook and Twitter. And and uh, also, if you know some independent uh, horror filmmakers, man, let them know. Um, this is some great stuff. So um, you're going to hear we just launch into the conversation. So I'm just going to start kind of uh, towards the beginning where we started talking because we just hopped on Skype and just started talking. There was nothing formal about it at all. So, um, yeah, really cool. So I hope you really enjoy. Again, this is your special bonus episode or uh, segment for this episode. Uh, this one's for free. I'm not going to make you pay any more to hear this. So <laughs> here you go. Here's me talking with Tom H. Yeah, so I was going to tell you, uh, I got offered a, a venue for my very first independent horror film festival. Awesome. <clears throat> yeah, so um, it'll be next September. So yeah, I've actually uh, looked on uh, looked on your website and was reading a little bit about it. And... As of right now, I mean, I'll start off. I don't know how much your listeners know about my blog and everything I do. Yeah. My blog is basically to promote independent horror film. I do support some authors. I do support some musicians, depending on the books and uh, and the music. I also. Uh, do movie reviews. I don't do as many reviews because to me that show I gotta show a level of biasness there. And yeah, yeah. I don't want to get caught up in that power struggle with some of these guys. Right, right. Because I, I mean I'm trying to do them a favor and because I understand how it is wanting to get to a certain level and having to fight and struggle and claw to get there. You know, and not being nobody, not being, you know, known for anything and for people to want people to follow you and and, and enjoy and take part in the same thing that you enjoy and you're taking part in. Yeah. You know, so the, the whole independent horror thing for me, that's where it's at. Oh, for sure. sure. I, yeah. can, I can watch any Hollywood movie and find... Every bit as many flaws as I would if I watched it if it was ten thousand dollar movie. Yeah. Yep. Oh, you're absolutely right, man. Uh, I'm right there. Yeah, big. You know, I'm a huge supporter of independent film. Uh, especially, it's cool. I saw one of the first clips you have on your on your site there is for uh, Sacrament. And, yes. Uh, so. so I'm, uh, yes. Uh, I've been uh, talking to him off and on, trying to see where he's at, and uh, once he. Gets more exclusive stuff. He's gonna shoot it my way to 
to get it out there. Um, I'm hoping, you know, I, I have a few close guys that I, I work with quite a, a bit. I talk to, like, every other day or every day or, or at least once a week. Nice. And, uh, like, Jason Figgis. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I've talked to him about uh, pretty much all his projects and all the projects he's got coming up. And uh, and we talk on uh, Google a lot. And uh, it's just some of the stuff that he's doing. I mean, the way I, I see his, I like his film. Mm. I like the way he shoots his film. I think he's actually one of the standards to me. Yeah. And it's unfortunate I can't get him here for next year. That's oh, yeah. if I could get him to come all the way over here, which I mean we've discussed it, and he mentioned his family in the United States, so or friends, so you know who knows? It's eleven months out. Yeah. I, yeah. If I can get him, I'd be extremely happy about that. Dude, that'd be awesome. <laughs> be awesome. Yeah, so what I'm doing now, and I'm going to lay down a little bit about the film festival. I'm calling it the Dead and Dixon Independent Horror Film Festival. Mm-hmm. Um, Dixon, Missouri is a small town about 18 miles away from Fort Leonard Wood. Um, we're not, we're, we're a decent distance away from all the major towns. But what I like about this venue is it's outdoors. And it's, it's on 30, 30 some acres. Of land, nice. uh, we have uh, the area that I know for sure that we can use has a capacity for at least five thousand people. Oh wow! Yeah, we do. We're gonna have RV uh, parking and hookups. We're gonna have camp. We have campgrounds there. You can camp over the event. You don't have to go to a hotel room and then come back. So that'll save some money. I mean, you'll pay what you pay for the camping, or if you bring an RV, it's going to be a lot cheaper than renting a, you know, going to a hotel room Friday and Saturday night, plus paying the cost to come in, eating, drinking, and having a good time. You know, you can be there and not have to waste any gas money to go anywhere else. You can do everything there. Awesome. Yeah, and uh, so we're going to also, and this is kind of a, a little bit of an exclusive situation. Um, we're going to have a surprise for everybody and the surprise is going to be pretty awesome. It's going to be pretty much a live filming of a movie. I'm not going to say what we're going to do, how we're going to do it, but we're, we're definitely in the process of making that a reality. That's awesome. Uh, It'll be our own within the film festival. So we're looking at that idea. That's, that's, this is really a big possibility. And I love it. Is this, uh, is it going to be like a, a, a drive-in kind of thing? You're showing, uh, how, how are the, the movies going to be shown? Now we originally started off thinking tents and, and this is all going to depend on how much support we get as far as, you know, I'm going to start a crowdfunding campaign probably soon. Uh, and hopefully I can donate, and on my blog, too, I have a donation area that people could donate to this, to my equipment fund, and uh, the fund to get people here that I want to come to this, you know, VIPs, uh, stuff like that. Um, so we're originally looking at, we are looking at doing like three or four tents that were like 40 by 50, 
to where it could fit about 100 to 200 people, 100, 150 people in each tent, and then show a movie in each tent, and then have a big 20-foot screen, like a movie theater quality screen outdoors, and have like a feature film up there after we run through, like say we go to four movies, we're running them, and then once the mo- those movies are done for that evening, we'll show our feature feature film that we want to put up there, the big, the best one we vote on, and we're going to vote on which one we're going to show, and we're going to show it on a big screen where it'll, it'll be amazing. It'll be like going to a drive-in movie theater, yes, for sure. And hopefully the quality a little bit better than that, and the sound a little bit better than that. Oh, yeah. Oh, dude, yeah, that sounds great, man. Yeah, so we got a lot of things in our heads that we're, we're working on right now. And, you know, we're 11 months out, so we got time. To, to, to get what we need to do. We just need to make sure that we got the interest, the support. And I understand this is in Missouri, and I understand that, you know, nobody's heard of me. Well, not everybody. There's a lot of people that have, but not not a whole lot, you know, has heard of me. This is a first-time event. But to make this a, an event that somebody's going to want to come back to the next year, it's going to require the, the interest and, and the support and the love of all the people that read my blog, Love the movies that I have. I've, I've helped, pub, you know, give publicity on my blog, and and and, and even the, the directors and the actors and actresses in these movies. If you're a supporter of all of these people, you're looking. I mean, it could get big, and it's definitely going to be something that can help every one of these people, including me. I ain't gonna lie. I'll, I'll be getting something out of this too. And my main, my main want out of this is to get on a level to where when people have are independent filmmakers want to make a movie and they want to talk to somebody, I want them to come to me. You know, I, Tom H is the guy that we want to come to because he networks us with other people. He, he, he knows enough of these other independent horror, you know, filmmakers that if somebody needs a cinema, cinema photographer, uh, cinema, uh, I can't even say the word. <laughs> uh, anyway, but anyway, you need a crew member. <laughs> you you can't sound effects person or makeup person. I know somebody. Mm. You know, yeah, I can't say that word very well. <laughs> yeah, not, a, a cameraman, you know. Yeah, when I uh, <laughs> I work at a residential treatment facility, right? Mm. I got my front four teeth were knocked out. So I had, <laughs> I had to get uh, new ones put up in there. So now it's just really, really weird. So when I say certain words, it's like, ah, yeah. <laughs> I'll just go ahead and quit on that before I look like an idiot. No. Oh, dude, you, you should hear me, man. I, I botch words all the time, and I I still have all my <laughs> my teeth are all still there. You know, it's uh, it's crazy. But, uh, oh, no, th- this sounds great. So um, your website, if people don't know, and they, they absolutely should, but uh, it, it's actually really cool. you got a lot of stuff up there. That's at uh, Tom H. Blog of Horror dot blogspot.com and uh, is that where you'll be kind of posting updates i know you have kind of a, a box up there that uh, gives a little uh, tidbit about the about the festival and where people can donate to it um is that where people are gonna uh, want to keep up with this um i'm gonna what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna i'm in the process of creating a page to link you know for the top like one of my tabs up there mm-hmm. i'm in the process of creating another page that you can link to from there That'll just it'll have a lot of updates. Um, 
I'll post updates all over Twitter, my Facebook account. You're going to know what's going on. You know, if you follow me, you're going to definitely know. Uh, but definitely anything you want to know about the film festival will be found on my blog. Excellent. Excellent. And then we'll I'll also have a, the, the partners that I'm working with in this. They have their own website for their uh, festival grounds. Um, I don't know if we're going to do a specific website for this event. Kind of like, you know, any of the others that are out there that have their own website and have, like, all the stuff, you know, really kick-ass setup. Mm. I don't know if we're going to go that far the first year. I'd like to, as far as, you know, to get, you know, like a flyer-type thing out there and have it start distributing it to some of my friends that are going to some of these other independent horror film festivals and start ha- passing out my flyers and to other people, <laughs> you know. But there's really nothing in this area. I mean, if you really think about it, how many indie horror or even horror film festivals that are notable in the Midwest? That's what I was trying to think when you were talking about this and being in Missouri. You know, I'm, I'm an East Coast guy, so I hear of a million festivals here on the East Coast and cons and things like that. They're just nuts here all the time. But, man, getting out to the Midwest, uh, you know, I have a hard time. I know I can think of some like in Indiana um, getting out there, but much further out than that, I can't think of any. Right. So I'm thinking, being in the area, there's and, and the fact that there's really nothing to do in this area anyway. You know, as far as uh, multi, you know, big entertainment. Mm-hmm. If you want to go to St. Louis, yeah, you can go to Kansas City, you can go to Columbia, you can go to Springfield. But when it comes down to it, you know, having a something right here in the middle of the state, because that's where we're at, right in the middle of the state. They can come to this, especially, I mean, I'm probably going to have a large Missouri crowd, but I'm hoping to get, you know, some other states, especially anybody that follows my blog. I mean, if you follow my blog and you come, and, I mean, I'm thinking it'll be worth it to just about anybody to show up for this thing, because you can't lose when it's, like, awesome. (laughs) <laughs> right, right. You know, and I have a the guys we're, I'm working with are really great, really great. They're really supportive so far. We, like I said, we're just bouncing ideas off each other. Um, they have a guy that they have work, that is partners with them that is really good with the sound and and graphic design and just about anything you could think of. So that's going to help me a lot when it comes down to doing. To figuring out how to set this all up, to get it all set up, and I'm just gonna be there, saying, "Okay, it looks good. It doesn't look good. Hey, can we try this?" And and getting the talent there. Um, movie submissions. Now, this is how I'm working submissions. I'm not a big time film festival, so obviously it doesn't freaking matter what I think at this point. But Sundance charges what roughly 100 to 150 dollars for a movie submission to get just to be submitted not even to get shown at their film festival. I'm doing $25. Now, the $25 does not mean that you were... I'm telling you, I'm not going to sit there and say your movie is not going to get shown or will be shown, but I'm going to do my best to show every movie that gets submitted. Oh, wow. And if I can't, what I'm going to try to do is set up a website on my website or my blog and I and if they send me a digital copy of their movie, I'll air it there. 
I'll, I'll, I'll start showing the movies on my blog it's for awesome. them. And I figure, you know, once people come to this film festival, the movies we don't get to see, people are still going to get to see it. And if we want to talk about, uh, you know, logistics and stuff like that, okay, you know, I got the guy that I'm talking about, the tech guy that we're talking about, he can set up a, a site that we can get raise money doing it, and I can help out some of these guys with, you know, in future, like, they want to make a movie. They need money. And the more money I have, the more money I can help put toward you guys. You know, that too. Because I would donate a lot of money if I had a lot of money to help these guys out. But my main thing is just getting people to do it too. So, we're, I mean, there's a lot of ways that this can come off and a lot of ways that I can help get their movies out there. A $25 entry fee does not mean you just wasted $25. And that's, uh, I mean, talking about so many of these festivals, I know what they charge, like you said, just for submissions, and that is no guarantee you're even going to be shown. Um, but, dude, 25 bucks is really, really reasonable. Um, I mean, I think you're, you're just, I think, enabling a lot of more filmmakers to, to do this because, man, you start getting up there, you know, 50, 60, 70, 100, 150 bucks just for a shot at getting shown is steep for a lot of people, especially indie horror. You know, where money's a huge thing, man. So this is great. And, and, and not just that. If they want to come out, if they submit a movie and they say, hey, we'll come out also, that's going to up chances of being shown. I mean, I'm not going to, or at least they can be part of, the, of a meet and greet. Mm -hmm. Bring merchandise. You know, bring a bunch of the DVDs and try to sell them mm -hmm. there too, you know. I mean, we're looking at getting vendors to come in to sell products, and I'm talking not just like, you know, food, I'm talking like horror-related stuff, like people that sell props, people that sell uh, distributing companies, you know, people that are going to come in and be like, that's an awesome movie, we, you know, and try to help, you know, especially these guys that don't have anybody that is even thinking about helping them with distribution. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, I mean, that's probably the most, the biggest thing, other than shooting the movie itself, you gotta, you gotta know how to get your product out the rest of the way yeah to get the money to start making money off of it and yeah. that's where it gets that's where it's getting tricky and that's where people get hung up and then it don't really i mean it's all based on popularity yeah and it, it, it's it's so much more about getting it out there for the indie makers than it is for you know selling a, a ton of dvds or, or anything like that at this point in a lot of filmmakers careers um, because it's far more valuable to do even what you're doing with your website now is just promoting it, just getting it out there, making it available for people, making it aware. Um, it, that's so much more. And uh, once the word gets out there, you start getting a following and then things just kind of build from there. And that's how things advance. Yep. And I do have a couple movies I will definitely tell you will be at the film festival. Blood Was Everywhere by Jason Torrey. That will be shown at the film festival. That is one for sure. Um, I have uh, a guy named Mario Cerrito. He's talking. He's in the process of uh, making the film of uh, the Cornfield Massacre. Oh yeah, yeah. He's in the process of making it, and he says he should be done with plenty of time to submit it, and he's going to come. That's at least tentatively. He said he's coming to the film festival as well. So I got, and Jason Torrey might, depending on, 
you know, availability and, and time constraints and everything else. But like you said, and like he was saying, you know, it's 11 months out. That's plenty of time to get this prepared. And, and, and that's part of the financial thing. You know, I'd like to be able to get some money raised up to help get some of these people out of here. Mm. You know, I don't want them to have to foot the bill all by themselves if I can help it. If I can get them out here, you know, give them a few hundred bucks, you know, for gas money or something like that, at least, or a plane ticket, I would do that. Yeah. And and that's kind of where all the funding, you know, funding is going to go to screens, uh, projector, um, talent, uh, makeup for our movie. Uh, <laughs> Special effects types for our movie, things like that. If everything, if you show up, you have a good chance of being in an independent horror film. That's awesome. I've never heard of that being done before um, at, a, at, a, at a festival, man. And that's that's brilliant. Did you come up? I mean, was that was that something you came up with? Was that something that just kind of you were bouncing around with people, or how that? The guy Mike Michael Hargis is uh, one of the partners of the, the festival grounds and when i met him and we were talking and he brought the idea up and i was just like wow yes and then i continued talking with the other guy uh michael garrett which is the tech guy about it and he was he told me yeah he was talking to the other dude about it and he goes it was really you know awesome crazy stupid but wonderful idea all at the same time and i'm like yeah i mean it's so great it it's it, it sounded like you know oh wow that's a lot you know we got to do all this other stuff that's a lot but when you really think about it we got 10 well 10 months safely to 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 make this happen to organize this whole thing and uh that we're gonna need uh camera equipment which i think we're gonna have at least two really good cameras to shoot this on so you know any ma- amount of money to be do- donated to this is just going to make this experience that much greater for everyone that's there us involved and and i'm not looking to make a killing financially because a lot of the money that i that will be made i'm going to turn around and put this right back into my blog put it right back into the next year mm-hmm. you know and it's just going to make the following year and years to come just that much more intense. And Lord knows what we're going to come up with in year number two. You know, I mean, we're coming up with this first year round, thinking about doing it now. Imagine how, how we're going to have to top it. Oh, yeah. Imagine the kind <laughs> of things we're going to have to do. So we're going to, I need, a, so from you and, and your people, I don't know how many people you got following you at this point, but um, tell them. And I'm sure you're gonna you're gonna post this for people, right? To hear. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. We're uh, we're gonna go up here. Uh, actually, you know, I already have the uh, the upcoming show uh, done. I, I you know post shows on Sunday, but uh, this I'm I'm just gonna slide right in there. And of course, like I said, you know, I won't have mentioned it in the intro or anything, but it'll show up during the show. And it'll be in the show notes, and I'll put all the links up and everything too, where uh, people can hear this. Because man, this is this is great, and I just want to get it out there um, for people to listen to. So. Yeah, definitely, and I'll I'll do a right like I said, right up on my site and all kinds of good stuff and whatever else I can do, man. As you as things happen, as you get new links, you get uh, any kind of campaign started, you get a, any kind of news, or you need support for something, dude, let me know. I'm there. 
I'm always updating uh, on Twitter. Uh, I'll post uh, when I do a post. I'll, I'll I'll retweet it. I'll tweet that thing sweet three, four, or five times in a week just to make sure it's you know being seen by everybody that follows me. But one another thing to the Stone Festival, we're, we're probably going to do some live music, and oh, cool. I would like bands if they want to tra- travel here. That's great. Uh, um, they could sell their merchandise here, you know, and all that too. Um, but I would like band submissions. Submit me some music at either through the contact link on my blog or by emailing me at tomhblogofhorror at gmail.com. Um, send me uh, music submissions um, as far as that goes so we can uh, pick and choose to see what kind of, I mean, this area. And and determining um you know determine what music and who would fit more with the demographic around here in Missouri. I mean I understand more people from uh, other states might come, but my focus is to make sure it's not something that would put off people from here. I want I want to find some good quality bands that will come in, want to play during our down movie time, that so we can keep entertainment going. Everybody can have a good time then, you know, when when nothing's going on as far as movies. I mean, obviously, our focus is going to be the film, the independent, you know, the horror films, the the stuff like that. But we want to try to get some of you uh, indie bands some publicity as well. And a lot of my followers that I like as far as bands are out of the UK, so that's going to be a little hard to speak with them here. But I would like to get some local bands closer to... Missouri or anybody that would want to travel and you know obviously cost I mean financially and that again to your your you sell your merchandise and you know you can make some money especially if everything turns out the way we want turn out there'll be a lot of people there'll be a lot of people so um, I but shouting out for a couple people real quick and then I, and then I'll say we're good but cool uh, they got there's a couple movies I just posted on my blog here recently. Uh, obviously, Jason Figgis, his uh, burial at the Thornhill, and you also wrote about this. Oh yeah, yeah, it looks yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yes, wonderful trailer. Um, some of the stuff that I'll tell you straight up, uh, one shot for sure was not special effects. <laughs> it was a real deal. <laughs> <laughs> And it was it's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, uh, did you talk to him about that particular thing? I don't want to. No, actually, I haven't. Um, I'm uh, excited to maybe have him back on the show here, and uh, of course, talk about that. But uh, yeah. no, I just I, I've been just chatting with him on Facebook a little bit, and uh, just got that up as quick as I could for him. <laughs> and uh, just bring up the the uh, the scene where. <laughs> There's no special effects involved. It's a real deal. <laughs> He'll tell you all about it. And I'll tell you what, I, when I heard it, I was just like, wow, that's freaking cool and creepy. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. And uh, another one by Damien Leone called uh, Terrifier. It's a 19-minute short. And he's making a feature film called The Ninth, Ninth Circle that kind of is like a continuation from this film, and I'm going to tell you right now, watch the short, it's freaking amazing. I loved it. 
I mean, it's great. So, and and please look at Bird with a Broken Wing too. Bird with a Broken Wing is about the original Night Stalker. Oh, really? Yes. Uh, Cameron Clavier is trying to raise money on this, and for some reason, it's not getting a lot of push. And he has done a lot of research. He's got a lot. Of, you know, he's done a lot of lot a lot of research, and he's trying to get this to be as real. And feel as real as possible, and he wants to, get, you know, talk about, you know, what happened with the last victim. Try to get it out there. Why did he disappear for five years after doing everything he did, just to kill her, and disappear again? So, yeah, it's really, really, really good concept. But you know, a lot of people with documentary type stuff, two story type things, it's it's uh, it's not as interesting to some people as it would be like. Uh, a slasher flick so yeah check out my blog for that too because there's a lot of stuff i've posted over the last month and a half regarding that yeah dude i'm, I'm looking you know we, we just got in contact like today you know and we were just talking about the film festival and everything so I'm, I'm, I'm checking out your website and i'm just like scrolling through and i'm like oh my god where have i been i gotta i gotta go back and check a lot of this stuff out dude. Yeah. You, you got a lot on here uh-huh and a uh, hog mall you've heard of him right that yeah. movie mm-hmm I, I'm, I emailed Nat Bishop about it, so, and that's one that's one movie I really want to get at the film festival for sure, and I'm probably going to try to talk to Oklahoma Ward about Crawl Bitch Crawl, as well, um, and see about that movie, because he's a very very talented filmmaker, and uh, they both are, so I want to make sure that did a lot of these things I'm talking about a lot of these movies I'm talking about a lot of the movies on my blog that I have supported, I'm going to try to get them at my film festival. I'm letting you know right there. So if you check my blog out and you see all these, you see these indie films and you see them and you think, oh my God, these are going to be cool, just be ready because you're going to be able to see that shit. (laughs) (laughs) And you're going to be able to see it probably at my film festival, if not before then, which, you know, hey, that's fine if you get to see it before then. But I would love to have some of these or most of these guys either be there and show their films or just be there, because this is going to be a groundbreaking thing for the Midwest. And this is probably, it's, I was told by one of my friends, directors, it's mine for the taking, guys. So if you support me, we're looking at something big. Awesome. Awesome. I, I, I really hope that people jump on with this, man, because, uh, like I said, I'm going to be keeping up with it and keep spreading the word and, um, Man, you know, you ever want to come back on the show, dude, and, and talk about it more? I mean, that's, uh, you know, the door is certainly open. And just, just like today, you know, say the word. And I'm like, okay, let's do it now. Let's yeah. <laughs> let's yeah. talk right yeah. now. <laughs> As we start getting more development, development on it and start doing everything and get more rolling, I'll let you know. I'll keep you involved as far as everything. Sweet, but please, sweet. you know, donate to this cause. And right now, the only place you could donate is on my blog. Uh, we, ha- I, I, if I can avoid a, a, a crowdfunding campaign, please, don't make me do that. Yeah, yeah. I'd rather do it this way than do it through that. But if I will do a crowdfunding campaign eventually if if we don't get enough support just by this donation, you know, through my blog. Um, other than that, stay tuned. I got lots of emails to check, lots of movies to look at. Um, I, I take them in order, and 
I sort through them and I try to get them out there on my blog as soon as I can. So, but I appreciate this a lot. I really do. Yeah. Anytime, anytime. Tom H, uh, you know, uh, Tom H blog of horror.blogspot.com is the website and, uh, I'll be linking to it, like I said, but dude, let's keep in touch here, man, and uh, let's do this again. We'll do. All right, dude. All right, thanks. The Corpse Cast Podcast, hosted by the bearded beauty himself, Mike Cadaver. Have you ever tasted your own jizz? <laughs> and the original Twitter stalker, Mr. Shaniel Diablo. I'll let you eat a candy bar right out of my snatch. Do you like all the latest in horror reviews? Did you used to jerk off to bra pictures in the Sears catalog? You like awesome, sexy horror talk? How about the latest in horror punk and metal? I'll send him my panties. I'll shove them inside like they do in the <laughs> dirty videos. Sure. Do you like fur burgers? Totally heterosexual male bonding, beards, and Peter Steele's penis? Well, this is the podcast for you. Is he circumcised? I think he is. Then tune in at CorpseCollective.com. New episodes every Saturday. I'm going to squat. <laughs> Michael, stop I'm it. I'm going to squat. Stop it, stop. And remember, if you don't listen to the Corpse Cast, then fuck you. Herbert West, Reanimator, by H.P. Lovecraft. Part 3. Six Shots by Midnight. It is uncommon to fire all six shots of a revolver with great suddenness when one would probably be sufficient, but many things in the life of Herbert West were uncommon. It is, for instance, not often that a young physician leaving college is obliged to conceal the principles which guide his selection of a home and office, yet that was the case with Herbert West. When he and I obtained our degrees at the medical school of Miskatonic University and sought to relieve our poverty by setting up as general practitioners, we took great care not to say that we chose our house because it was fairly well isolated and as near as possible to the potter's field. Reticence such as this is seldom without a cause, nor indeed was ours, for our requirements were those resulting from a life work distinctly unpopular. Outwardly, we were doctors only, but beneath the surface were aims of far greater and more terrible moment, for the essence of Herbert West's existence was a quest amid black and forbidden realms of the unknown in which he hoped to uncover the secret of life and restore to perpetual animation the graveyard's cold clay. Such a quest demands strange materials, among them fresh human bodies. And in order to keep supplied with these indispensable things, one must live quietly and not far from a place of informal interment. West and I had met in college, and I had been the only one to sympathize with his hideous experiments. Gradually, I had come to be his inseparable assistant, and now that we were out of college, we had to keep together. It was not easy to find a good opening for two doctors in company, but finally the influence of the university secured us a practice in Bolton, a factory town near Arkham, the seat of the college. The Bolton Worsted Mills are the largest in the Miskatonic Valley, 
and their polyglot employees are never popular as patients with the local physicians. We chose our house with the greatest care, seizing at last on a rather run-down cottage near the end of Pond Street, five numbers from the closest neighbor, and separated from the local potter's field by only a stretch of meadowland, bisected by a narrow neck of the rather dense forest which lies to the north. The distance was greater than we wished, but we could get no nearer house without going on the other side of the field, wholly out of the factory district. We were not much displeased, however, since there were no people between us and our sinister source of supplies. The walk was a trifle long, but we could haul our silent specimens undisturbed. Our practice was surprisingly large from the very first, large enough to please most young doctors, and large enough to prove a bore and a burden to students whose real interest lay elsewhere. The mill hands were of somewhat turbulent inclinations, and besides their many natural needs, their frequent clashes and stabbing affrays gave us plenty to do. But what actually absorbed our minds was the secret laboratory we had fitted up in the cellar, the laboratory with the long table under the electric lights, where in the small hours of the morning we often injected West's various solutions into the veins of the things we dragged from the potter's field. West was experimenting madly to find something which would start man's vital motions anew after they had been stopped by the thing we called death, but had encountered the most ghastly obstacles. The solution had to be differently compounded for different types. What would serve for guinea pigs would not serve for human beings, and different human specimens required large modifications. The bodies had to be exceedingly fresh, or the slight decomposition of brain tissue would render perfect reanimation impossible. Indeed, the greatest problem was to get them fresh enough. West had had horrible experiences during his secret college researches with corpses of doubtful vintage. The results of partial or imperfect animation were much more hideous than were the total failures, and we both held fearsome recollections of such things. Ever since our first demonic session in the deserted farmhouse on Meadow Hill in Arkham, we had felt a brooding menace, and West, though a calm, blonde, blue-eyed scientific automaton in most respects, often confessed to a shuddering sensation of stealthy pursuit. He half felt that he was followed a psychological delusion of shaken nerves, enhanced by the undeniably disturbing fact that at least one of our reanimated specimens was still alive, a frightful, carnivorous thing in a padded cell at Sefton. Then there was another, our first, whose exact fate we had never learned. We had fair luck with specimens in Bolton, much better than in Arkham. We had not been settled a week before we got an accident victim on the very night of burial, and made it open its eyes with an amazingly rational expression before the solution failed. It had lost an arm. If it had been a perfect body, we might have succeeded better. Between then and the next January, we secured three more. One total failure, one case of marked muscular motion, and one rather shivery thing. It rose of itself and uttered a sound. Then came a period where luck was poor. Interments fell off and those that did occur were of specimens either too diseased or too maimed for use. We kept track of all the deaths and their circumstances with systematic care. One March night, however, we unexpectedly obtained a specimen which did not come from the potter's field. In Bolton, the prevailing spirit of Puritanism had outlawed the sport of boxing, with the usual result. 
Surreptitious and ill-conducted bouts among the mill workers were common, and occasionally professional talent of low grade was imported. This late winter night there had been such a match, evidently with disastrous results, since two timorous Poles had come to us with incoherently whispered entreaties to attend to a very secret and desperate case. We followed them to an abandoned barn, where the remnants of a crowd of frightened foreigners were watching a silent black form on the floor. The match had been between Kid O'Brien, a lubberly and now quaking youth with a most unhibernian hooked nose, and Buck Robinson, the Harlem Smoke. The Negro had been knocked out, and a moment's examination showed us that he would permanently remain so. He was a loathsome, gorilla-like thing, with abnormally long arms, which I could not help calling forelegs, and a face that conjured up thoughts of unspeakable Congo secrets and tom-tom poundings under an eerie moon. The body must have looked even worse in life, but the world holds many ugly things. Fear was upon the whole pitiful crowd, for they did not know what the law would exact of them if the affair were not hushed up. And they were grateful when West, in spite of my involuntary shudders, offered to get rid of the thing quietly, for a purpose I knew too well. There was bright moonlight over the snowless landscape, but we dressed the thing and carried it home between us through the deserted streets and meadows as we had carried a similar thing one horrible night in Arkham. We approached the house from the field in the rear and took the specimen in the back door and down the cellar stairs and prepared it for the usual experiment. Our fear of the police was absurdly great, though we had timed our trip to avoid the solitary patrolman of that section. The result was wearily anticlimactic. Ghastly as our prize appeared, it was wholly unresponsive to every solution we injected in its black arm, solutions prepared from experience with white specimens only. So, as the hour grew dangerously near to dawn, we did as we had done with the others, dragged the thing across the meadows to the neck of the woods near the potter's field, and buried it there in the best sort of grave the frozen ground would furnish. The grave was not very deep, but fully as good as that of the previous specimen, the thing which had risen of itself and uttered a sound. In the light of our dark lanterns, we carefully covered it with leaves and dead vines, fairly certain that the police would never find it in a forest so dim and dense. The next day I was increasingly apprehensive about the police, for a patient brought rumors of a suspected fight and death. West had still another source of worry, for he had been called in the afternoon to a case which ended very threateningly. An Italian woman had become hysterical over her missing child, a lad of five who had strayed off early in the morning and failed to appear for dinner, and had developed symptoms highly alarming in view of an always weak heart. It was a very foolish hysteria, for the boy had often run away before, but Italian peasants were exceedingly superstitious, and this woman seemed as much harassed by omens as by facts. About seven o'clock in the evening she had died, and her frantic husband had made a frightful scene in his efforts to kill West, whom he wildly blamed for not saving her life. Friends had held him when he drew a stiletto, but West departed amidst his inhuman shrieks, curses, and oaths of vengeance. In his latest affliction, the fellow seemed to have forgotten his child, who was still missing as the night advanced. There was some talk of searching the woods, but most of the family's friends were busy with the dead woman and the screaming man. Altogether, the nervous strain upon West must have been tremendous. Thoughts of the police and of the mad Italian 
both weighed heavily. We retired about 11, but I did not sleep well. Bolton had a surprisingly good police force for so small a town, and I could not help fearing the mess which would ensue if the affair of the night before were ever tracked down. It might mean the end of all our local work, and perhaps prison for both West and me. I did not like those rumors of a fight which were floating about. After the clock had struck three, the moon shone in my eyes, but I turned over without rising to pull down the shade. Then came the steady rattling at the back door. I lay still and somewhat dazed, but before long heard West rap on my door. He was clad in dressing gown and slippers, and had in his hands a revolver and an electric flashlight. From the revolver, I knew that he was thinking more of the crazed Italian than of the police. We'd better both go, he whispered. It wouldn't do not to answer it anyway, and it may be a patient. It would be like one of those fools to try the back door. So we both went down the stairs on tiptoe, with a fear partly justified and partly that which comes only from the soul of the weird small hours. The rattling continued, growing somewhat louder. When we reached the door, I cautiously unbolted it and threw it open, and as the moon streamed revealingly down on the form silhouetted there, West did a peculiar thing. Despite the obvious danger of attracting notice and bringing down on our heads the dreaded police investigation, a thing which, after all, was mercifully averted by the relative isolation of our cottage, my friend suddenly, excitedly, and unnecessarily emptied all six chambers of his revolver into the nocturnal visitor. For that visitor was neither Italian nor policeman. Looming hideously against the spectral moon was a gigantic, misshapen thing not to be imagined save in nightmares. A glassy-eyed, ink-black apparition nearly on all fours, covered with bits of mold, leaves, and vines, foul with caked blood, and having between its glistening teeth a snow-white, terrible, cylindrical object terminating in a tiny hand. First, he conquered YouTube. Then, he was on Cadaver Lab. Next came Cinema Corpse. And then, he was on your mom. What? It totally happened. Nation Horror Podcast, www.krugernation.com. We've come to an end to another episode, and wow, how amazing it has been. I really hope you enjoyed listening to this. Of course, thank you to Damien from Lugdunham Studios and to Mr. Chris Costa for joining me today. Uh, two fantastic gentlemen, and uh, I think they've made some really wonderful things. So go check out Operation Z. They're available on Amazon.com, and in fact, myself... Uh, I, I, I went out and bought both volumes on Amazon to give as Christmas gifts this week because there's some people in my life who I know would really, really dig this. Um, if there's somebody who, uh, you know, is into zombie and like zombie stuff and likes talking about uh, what they would do during the outbreak and what kind of weapons they would use and stuff, this is right down their alley and uh, right up their alley. Is it down, down your alley or up your alley? Right up your alley. Right up their alley. Up. Upward and onward, right? Yeah. Um, but no, this is a, a really fantastic stuff. So, uh, yeah, I recommend it. But uh, And we're going to be hearing about them again, actually. Um, we're we're going to be talking about Volume 2 here at some point, which I also have, and uh, I'm going to watch, but uh, it's exciting stuff. So, uh, 
yeah, but uh, thank you to Damien. Thank you to Chris Costa for taking time to uh, to talk with me and uh, check out more about Chris Costa, of course, at the links that I'm going to be having up on the website. If you don't know who this guy is, watch his stuff, man. He is amazing. Absolutely amazing. Uh, so, wow. Wow. What else? Um, of, of course, thank you to Tom Burdinsky again for uh, just being an awesome guy. Thank you to uh, Jason Figgis for sending me uh, uh, the uh, wonderful preview of uh, his new film coming out, Burial at Thornhill, and uh, to King Uke for writing in this week. And if you'd like to get in contact, go to electricchairshow.com. Uh, there's uh, you know all the past episodes, a lot of goodness going on there, as well as... Um, you know, just uh, links to all the people, the, the show notes, everything you can listen to here. And uh, you can contact me on the contact page there, like I've been saying. And uh, midnightcory.com is uh, another site where I put up weird content from time to time. So check it out. Um, of course, the voicemail line is 206-337-5096. And um, yeah, that's about all I got. Tongue-tied this morning. That's about all I got. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again for listening, and uh, we'll be back again next week with some more awesomeness. I promise you. Have a good one. Yeah.